Okay. Everyone ready? I'm ready. All right. Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Eniash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And today we're going to be doing a bunch of listener feedback. Is going to take up most of it, but we didn't want to do just listener feedback for a full episode because, I don't know, that gets to be tiresome. So we're. I'm also um, going to be kicking around a thing that I personally think is like a consequence of thinking about living in a simulation kind of stuff. I related it back to our Cyber Christianity episode when I was pitching it to my two co-hosts here. But um, really, I think it's just a... Now that I think about it, I think it's more of a revealing my own neuroses and <laughs> mental issues. So I guess this might be an embarrassing episode for me. Or we'll confirm or deny your neuroses. So. Excellent. So uh, yeah, I was I, I was thinking of calling this episode "Are You Jesus or Hitler?" <laughs> so, which is basically what it comes down to. Sounds like a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, the simulation argument being to go over it again really quickly: uh, if it's possible to simulate humans in the future, and if computing uh, power gets much cheaper and more available, then it's going to be. Entirely likely that our far future ancestors may make a lot of simulations of the past to see how humanity evolved, to relive things like right now we don't actually know how ancient battles were fought. Like we have some ideas and people try to reenact them, but ultimately no one wrote down like this is what happens when two armies meet each other on a field. They just say the armies met and this many people were slaughtered, right? So it's really hard to say like... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I remember in 2016 when the results in the last election came in mm-hmm. that I think it was previous guest on the show, Patrick Shapin, said that that increased his probability that we're living in a simulation right? because it struck him as so unlikely yeah. that, now nah, I'm paraphrasing, but that reality TV show host and like confident rapist or uh, 20-time alleged rapist Donald Trump with would take his first debut into public service as president of the United States. Right. And he's like, that's fucking crazy. This, this like, if I was going to make a simulation, I'd be like, let's see what happens. If, <laughs> if we just put Donald Trump in the white house, I, now that I've already derailed this, I, I, I'm, I haven't read any of the books in simulation hypothesis, mainly because it doesn't, I don't lose any sleep over it. Mm-hmm. But my main thing about it, like, again, having never like addressed the arguments properly is this is assuming that like, so that the, the you, to finish the, the argument, is that if it seems likely, as you laid out, that our and our descendants may create uh, simulations, mm-hmm. then they will be more, if they make more than one, the some total of universes has more simulated universes than real ones, and so and we're more likely than not in a simulation. Exactly, but that's that's like assuming you to make simulations like exactly like this one, or exactly like with the same laws of physics, uh-huh. um, and I. Well, if you I'm, wanted I'm, to like see how people do things, you would do that like the, the battle thing for example you'd have to have both realistic physics and realistic psychology yeah like unless, a lot of it is just historians fun. not knowing you know do people charge at each other in bloodlust do they stay like at arm's reach and try not to get hurt like where does that tip over what exactly happens so and i, I think it's I'm, I'm just i'm trying to remember where i thought of this from and it was much more eloquent when i first thought of it now it's not coming to me but like the idea someone pointed out like, oh, that would take too much computing power or something. And it's like, sure, in this physics. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, you couldn't run our universe on your laptop and you probably won't be able to run it on a laptop in a thousand years. Mm -hmm. But like, that's 
I don't know. And the, also, the other thing too is that you don't have to simulate the whole thing. Yeah. You can simulate. You can kind of do like what what the young Earth creationists do, where it's like, oh sure, the photons from distant from distant stars were just like generated in the CP, in the, in the in the simulation in in route to Earth. Right. Right. right? A yeah. few hundred meters above the atmosphere. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you don't actually have to uh, simulate the quantum foam, except for the few times where scientists are literally trying to figure out how the quantum. Uh, how quantum physics works and then all you have to do is fuck with their results or their brains or something right <laughs> well, or, so. or you, maybe you like realistically simulate that and the simulation slows down for a few minutes while they crank through those heavy processes and then people stop looking at it. so if you go back to gross generalizations now i just remembered um it's like when you're playing a first person shooter it doesn't rend the entire world it only rends the part that you can see on your screen yeah there's no sense in rendering the you know, like in Skyrim, rendering everything down to the atom. Like, like things are just tables. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there, you can't even break them into smaller bits. Um, I think I remember, now we talked about simulation hypothesis at some point in the distant past on the show, because I'm remembering when I brought up Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. how when the one where they're in a simulation, and then Rick's tearing apart that rat in the garage, and he's just like, this is such sloppy work. And <laughs> <All right. laughs> the it, it could just be him being a drunk, crazy person. But the way that I kind of read that was like, oh, he's he's saying that this isn't even a good simulation, because on the inside, this rat isn't, isn't made properly. Like, real rats look different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... I have been talking a long time, and I still don't know what we're talking about. Oh, it's okay. Je- Jess, do you have anything to add before we... Not really. I oh. was kind of thinking about the computing power thing, and then I was like, what if somebody's just simulating a whole bunch of consciousnesses, and we're all just vividly dreaming? Did you ever play Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening? Mm-hmm. And they're also remaking that for the Switch, uh, coming yeah. out, I think, at the end of the summer or something. Okay. So that's kind of like that game. <laughs> 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 I haven't played it since the early 90s. Nine- er, maybe roughly when it was new like mid to late 90s so it's been like 20 years but i remember that was that being the plot and as a kid it was you know trippy so i'm curious it'll be as as a you know an adult yeah okay so moving forward as we were that was a perfect segue because as we were just talking about how like you don't necessarily want to uh simulate everything in total fidelity all the time right uh one of the things that might be very computationally expensive to simulate is humans I'm not sure how true that is. A lot of time we just fall back on heuristics and kludges and don't think th- through things very much. But it's possible that if you're trying to really get into the mind of like Julius Caesar and see how he was running, then you're going to do your best to make sure like the individual neural connections are all uh, f- simulated as faithfully as possible, right? And you're not like just you're running a few large rules. You're like, let's get this brain as detailed as you can, right? But you probably wouldn't be doing that for, I don't know, some of the Norsemen that he ran into in some of his earlier campaigns. Like, those will just, they're not rendered for most of the time. When he goes up there, you have a few of them running simple basic rules. You know how the battles resulted, so they just have to be the NPCs that run in and fight Julius Caesar. I I can see both of you know where I'm going there. I actually don't. (laughs) I was distracted. Can I give an an example of broad rule AI stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, In Elder Scrolls Oblivion, you could get, if you finish the Dark Brotherhood quest line, you could get these poison apples that make it somewhat easy to assassinate people. Right. And reverse pickpocketing was, is still like a challenge, unless you train pickpocketing, which the only way to do that is to get in trouble a lot for stealing from people. So I never did that. Um, what you can do instead is you can go into someone's house when they're out, because people like, everyone in the game has, all the NPCs have like schedules. They, they go out and wander the town from like, you know, six to five or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um Go and sow the fields or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that when they're out doing the thing, you sneak into their house and you can just steal all their food 
and put a poison apple like on the table and then leave. Mm-hmm. And when they get back, they all, you know, whatever that NPC schedule is like, I eat at 830. So it looks around the house, finds a thing tagged food and picks up, eats it and dies, yeah. which is a hilarious way to kill somebody in this game. Um, again, that's the like low level NPC. Like I'm following super, super basic rules because a regular person would walk in and be like, my house has been ransacked <laughs> and there's a shiny apple on the table. I'm not that hungry. <laughs> I'm what's going on here, right? This looks slightly suspicious. <laughs> All right, so yeah. I, I still don't actually know where we're going. I'm excited. You've got okay. me on the edge of my seat. All right, well, um, the thing is, those people who are only kind of barely simulated in the background wouldn't be conscious. This is, on the one hand, possibly a good thing. It might mean that people that are suffering terribly across the on the other side of the world don't actually exist. They're just being, you know, numbers in the database so that uh, we all get the impression that they're there uh but they um the suffering's not really there so that's that's a relief oh now i see where we're going Uh uh-huh but the other thing is that i at least feel like i exist i am conscious i don't know about any of my listeners maybe i'll be some crazy simulated zombies or whatever but uh for anyone who also feels like they have conscious existence and if there's a good chance that you're being simulated you got to ask yourself, why am I being simulated to this high level of fidelity? What is going to happen in my <laughs> life that the, the far future descendants are going to be interested in doing this? And, uh, and so the question comes down to, so are you going to be doing something momentous later in your life? And are you going to be a good guy like Jesus or a bad guy like Hitler? And they wanted to just see what would happen. Let's plug Inyash in. But let's give them slightly different starting parameters and and press play. Maybe and even see what the weird same. Shit happens. Honestly, maybe even the same starting parameters. They just like if you wanted to see how William Shakespeare wrote his plays, you would just kind of do everything you can to get it as you know good as possible. Get him up through teenagehood, maybe early childhood, depending on how soon you think you got got to start the simulation, and then run it and see. And you're like, oh look, right now he's writing Hamlet. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's what he was thinking while he was writing Hamlet. Um, so he takes a lot of masturbation breaks. That's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I don't want to pull the rug out from under this before it gets going, but like, oh, I had something for this. Oh, okay. Wait, I got it. So, so this is the, the, the crux of it is that this is a, like a, a constraint on the simulation hypothesis that like, in fact, it might be easier to simulate more universes with less computing power with less sentient people. Yeah. So this is like just a, uh, an epicycle within the simulated universe's thing. Right. There'll be there'll be the the ones with fully sentient all everybody will be a smaller number than the ones with just a handful of selected people. And because we know we're conscious, presumably mm-hmm. each of each of us individually, I mean, um, we're, we have to think, okay, why are they simulating me and not somebody else? Right. Okay. And you know, the older I get, where I haven't done anything momentous yet the more I'm thinking maybe this is the root universe because I have less time to do things. But on the other hand, maybe there's going to be something really crazy and out of my control happening later because a lot of people do much more momentous things later in their life. I don't know. The whole thing is kind of scary. It makes you paranoid. Um, it also, like, it. I know in my family the delusions of grandeur thing kind of runs. We've all talked about it, like, with my brothers. But, um... This is definitely a delusions of grandeur kind of thing that like, oh, I am destined to do something awesome. Uh, Why else would they be simulating me if I wasn't destined to do something amazing? Uh, But also, you start to worry 
if you already have like kind of imposter syndrome issues and every now and then i'm just gonna take my coworker as an example i got a new coworker several months ago he like comes by my cube every day to chat for a while and sure he could just be a chatty guy but every now and then i'm like why is he interested in me what the hell is going on here and then i think maybe he's a person from the far future kind of like hijacking a body for a little bit to get to talk with me and then he can go back and tell his friends dude i got to talk to eniash brodsky like they all take turns jacking into this guy's <laughs> maybe you don't know <laughs> anytime anyone in the world like notices me and pays attention to me for any reason i'm like why why are you doing that and it makes more sense when it's someone who listens to the podcast but when it's just someone randomly that i've met at the bar or at the store or something it it's it's like i said a revelation of my neuroses there's a reason we're here hanging out with you, and it wasn't because... Is there? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if we, look, if we go too far down that, we'll never come out. But, mm -hmm. like, it, I mean, on some level, you're, you're engaging enough to attract people at a distance, right? Okay. So, like, there were a time when we didn't know each other, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, we were able to, like, kind of bridge that because I was like, oh, you're cool. I want to get to know you better. If you were less cool, I wouldn't have wanted to pursue that, right? Yeah. So, like, this guy's doing that. He think I'm assuming, right? Your coworker thinks you're interesting and en enough so to t want to talk to you for a few minutes a day. Or, I know, hope so. it could be something else equally mundane where they're just like, oh, if I'm standing over here talking to a coworker, it could give me the impression, could give a bystander the impression of working and I'm getting paid to do whatever, right? Right, right. The other thing I was thinking of earlier was that there's no sense really in like coming back to now to sim like if you're simulating like this isn't like Shakespeare writing plays time time period right well to this is the time period of populist uprising in America right but if they're going but to not to say you're not a, a person who's who's going to achieve grand things but just but your your life is already documented in such a way that we can accurately portray almost all of that in a hundred years you know f uh, barring some disaster of technology right maybe like you blog, you record a podcast, like a lot of your thinking is already public yeah. enough that it wouldn't be worth probably simulating a whole universe just to see what you get up to in your off hours. I don't know, man. Like Trump, he's got a lot of his life on record too, but I could totally see someone even if the if it was available 100 years from now going back and resimming his life. Like what the hell created this person? I think that's all, I mean, at the forefront of this crazy moment in US history. <laughs> well, it's more. That's almost like evidence against the like simulating a conscious person, <laughs> with like it doesn't follow super generic AI rules. Right. It's like the rest of us do. What, what would be evidence against it? Donald Trump. Oh, it just as, existing as a person, in general. Like, cause, cause, like his reaction to things is the kind of thing that like anybody who like follows him on Twitter can guess ninety nine percent of the time, and it's just like, oh, what looks good for me? Oh, um. What can I put my name on? What can I plate in gold? Yeah, but uh, is that really his thought process, or is that his public persona, which he's gotten really good at playing? I was gonna. I mean, I just. I mean, I just feel like if. if How could you know? With aside from simulating him, I, I was approaching the question from a different direction. Like that. Yeah. Th that's the kind of person I could simulate with simple rules, right? Okay. Like, if I dedicated the next year of my life to learning how to build video game AIs, I could build a character who just <laughs> did that, right? But I could. It would be harder to do that for somebody who's like more complicated. <laughs> right. I think it would be hard for anyone. Um, if you're simulating Julius Caesar, where are you getting the scan of his neurons? I don't think we have. I don't think we have a cast of his brain. Or do, yeah. do we have his DNA? Like no, I don't think so. And just stories about him. Brains still are kind of um, what is that word that everyone likes to use? Confusing, complex. <laughs> um, 
Squishy. Pink. No. Squishy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm frustrated. It's the one that means that something that uh, grows kind of chaotically. Oh. Emergent? um, Emergent. Okay. Yeah, that's like the new code word for here's a process we don't understand. Right. Um, A lot of people use that for AI. Yeah. But to some extent, I mean, you have your genes that build you, and then you also have your experiences in the womb and your early life experiences. So how much of that could we even realistically simulate? I I think that you could simulate a universe, but like, I don't think that you could re-simulate a universe in high fidelity. I also think, too, we already kind of do this Mm. with stories yeah and whether historical fiction or like complete fantasies right yeah so like i've never written a book and i don't you i mean you've written book length books at least one right so in 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 your writing process when uh like joa is three-fourths the way through the book and you're like trying to think of the next thing to do do you ever ask yourself what would joa do in the situation or are you kind of driving the like every step um it's it's sort of a a mix where you can't like make a character do something that just is not true to their character. It the whole story goes wrong. It feels fake if you're just having people do things to advance the storyline, right? All the, if they you do that for every step, right? Well, if, if you do that for any step, really. But I mean, there's a few things that happen to them to get the uh, story started or to complicate things. But ultimately, if I want a character to do something. I don't just like have them do it because then you get like on YouTube videos mocking your terrible movie writing skills or whatever, and and rightly so. It it's it's shitty writing. It takes people out of the story. You but since you control the entire world, you just manipulate the events around them to put them into a situation where they would do the thing that you want them to do. Yeah, and um, speaking as someone who also writes, I have been surprised by some of my characters' actions. Like they do run away from you sometimes. They kind of develop their own personalities that's what i was that's more what i imagined it kind of being like was i mean you're right like it can't just be you know uh kind of autocomplete for this character but i i i wonder if in the writing process anyone was ever like um i don't know uh i'm trying to think i mean all of my examples will be specific because it's only things that i've read but like yeah. the wheel of time is this gigantic like encapsulate in encompassing universe it could have been a small story could have been contained to one small thing it's it takes like a continent there's different groups of demographics and and traditions and all that stuff and then like all the characters many of them are really strongly written and i wonder if there's ever a point where where jordan was writing this and he was just like man i wonder you know how am i going to complete this and it's like oh you know what that's totally something perrin would do i'm going to have him do that um and like just thinking of like no no that that's that's very much what he would do rather Mm and yeah I'm pretty sure that that's how Wildbow writes. That's like, got to be how Wildbow writes. I mean, he said that he designs these characters, and then he designs a scenario, and then he just lets it play out. I mean, in general, any good character writer is going to do that. You create a character, and then they do things according to who they are, right? Yeah. And so that all sounds like a tangent, but the reason I brought that up is because that sounds like a lot easier than trying to simulate a universe where you're making up Julius Caesar from scratch anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So you just you read everything you can about Caesar in real life, and then... You know, write just a, make the closest approximation to Caesar. Yeah, and Pete, we do that now with books, right? So, I'm assuming there's historical fiction from the point of view of Julius Caesar floating around out there. Yes, um, lots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he was a popular dude, right? Yeah. Um, so, like the, it's not going to get any more fidel any more higher fidelity than current authors' imaginations, right? I don't know. Maybe it could be. I have no idea. I, we would need some like 
into the past viewing tech. But I guess the difference is that what we can't do with an author writing this is, like you said, describe what a battle looks like IRL um, because they didn't see them either, right? Yeah. Did I ever tell you about uh, Steve Fever? It was a very interesting short story, which, oh God, was it Charles Strauss that wrote it? It sounds like a Strauss kind of story. Uh, but based Steve Fever? Fever. Fever. Uh, like a gotcha. fever that you get, yeah. and it's named after Steve. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I found myself catching that once in a while. Wait, <laughs> I don't know if I do yet or not. Let me hear the story. Okay, uh, so <laughs> Steve is basically a Steve Jobs stand-in. Okay. Uh, and he created, like, you know, cutting-edge tech guy. He made these nanites, and uh, he was signed up for Cryonics. And he had in his company's... Uh, basic ai software the root directive of hey if i ever die do everything in your power to bring me back uh unfortunately he dies in a fiery car accident and his brain is burnt to a crisp and there's nothing that can be cryopreserved but that doesn't stop the nanites uh they have a record of his in you know of his life basically he blogged a lot a lot of his stuff was recorded uh there's lots of interviews of him out there where he record uh retells what things that happened in his childhood right so the story takes uh, place uh, in it, it, the protagonist is this kid on a farm who at one point is possessed by the nanites and runs off to a facility where a bunch of other people who have been possessed by nanites all come together and they basically run the best approximation they have of uh, either his brain or one of Steve's friends on his body and they put him in a scenario that Steve uh, once told about his childhood, right? Uh, it was something about like riding bikes down a hill to get to a store. Really short thing. But ultimately, this fails. The reactions of their virtual Steve are not the same as the reactions recorded in Steve's history. So the Nanites are like, ah, okay, got to keep working on our brain algorithm. They let everybody free and they tinker with their things some more. And that's basically the name of the Steve Fever. Everyone on planet Earth knows that they basically can't do anything about this. Every now and then, young men or men of various ages that of you know Steve Jobs's age run off, r- replay out these simulations, and uh, if it doesn't work, the nanites keep trying until they get a brain simulation that perfectly recap- recapitulates every single thing that Steve Jobs did in his life perfectly and then they'll be like moha this is the perfect steve brain now we put it in a body and he's back so th- wait they're hijacking people who already exist in this world and making them behave like steve yeah they're hijacking them and then loading steve's neurology into their brains because apparently this is like before whatever you still need human brains to run this software huh yeah and this is a short story yeah yeah i want to read this this sounds fun it's really cool yeah that sounds fantastic and the premise sounds from the I, I I loved every second of it. That was really cool. That's also, I think, how Ray Kurzweil talks about wanting to, in a manner, resurrect his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, that, he wants to do that that way? Because there's no... Well, excuse me. Not, <laughs> with, not necessarily with the body jackings, but, use, <laughs> but, but, but building a model of him based on his written work okay. and, and his... Uh, presumably how people remember him or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, Neuromancer had... Um, what was it called? Dixie's Flatline, which was kind of the recorded personality of the main character's friend. Cool. So it's been it was, a long time since I read that. I don't yeah, remember much. That's the main thing that's like one of the main things that stuck with me from that story is kind of like carrying around a ghost in your pocket because mm. like he's talking to Dixie and he responds the way he would have in life. But like everyone knows that this isn't really him. It's just like an echo. Yeah. It's like a living diary or something. That's super creepy and kind of cool. And that's another thing. If like I'm conscious right now, but... I'm almost 40, haven't done anything super noteworthy with my life yet. Am I one of the failed versions of Ineash that's going to be terminated when I don't, like, take over the world at 50 or whatever the hell it is Ineash Prime did? 
I mean, it's also, I guess it's not clear why you'd have to be conscious to do this, but like the works that you've done, you know, like the, I mean, actually we, we got somebody who commented, uh, on the, I think via Patreon and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll mention that later if we want, uh, at more length, but he mentioned that like he got out of Mormonism listening to this podcast, right? Oh yeah. So maybe yeah. he takes over the world. Yeah. And so, although there's no reason for us to have been sentient to like m- produce this content or us to even be real. Right. Right. So like that, that's not quite the case, but I guess it's not clear to me. Like we don't have to be the, like I said, it's a half baked idea. That's more about my own mental issues than about things. So I'm just, we should probably preface this episode with a um, medic hazard warning. Like if you're, prone to delusions of grandeur you probably shouldn't listen to this or solipsism or solipsism yeah yeah i mean i i don't know why like i guess i've had some vague diagnosis of what do you call it depersonalization disorder Mm -hmm. where it's like you kind of feel like you're like watching tv instead of like being alive yeah yeah. um i mean i i I had disassociation right Yes. There's disassociative identity. There's that's yeah, different. Depersonalization, yeah, yeah. derealization. I think it was depersonalization or derealization. It wasn't as severe as deper- disassociative identity disorder, but okay. like, and, I mean, th- th- this is just the sort of thing where like a lot of the times things don't feel real, and I think that mm-hmm. like everybody's used to this when you're really tired. Like, maybe I'm assuming. I guess I've only ever been the one person. But no, like, I mean, I've, wait, I've you had, could get it. I guess I've had this before. I don't know if I was really tired at the time though. And or depressed is another yeah, big, yeah. is another big part of it. But like, I think certainly I notice a lot when I'm tired. Like I'll go down and like, oh, I forgot to like lock the deadbolt or something. So I'll go down do that, and like none of that like feels like it's actually happening. Or like right. even like getting out to my car to go to work first thing in the morning. Like I'm not quite awake yet. Yeah. So like that kind of thing. Um, why did I bring that up? Uh, oh, so like I I already have occasional periods where like things don't feel real and you have never been troubled with solipsism or with with uh simulation concerns like i guess that all strikes me as so improbable Mm. like it makes much more sense to me just to take the kind of like naive realist point of view that like yeah all the stuff out there is the stuff that's actually out there and i'm perceiving it with uh my eyes that are are translating that information to my brain and like so is everybody else like to me the idea that other people aren't and i get like that's the point of the simulation hypothesis but to me the 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 idea that other people aren't also conscious and you know aren't experiencing things the way that i am because like they came from the same roots that i did mm-hmm. that strikes me as like an extra layer of com- of complexity but the point of the simulation is that you're starting with different priors well so and strictly speaking yes it's absolutely an extra layer of complexity i think it's just one of those things that some brains throw errors out and my brain is one of those brains it, it's not quite functioning exactly right enough to function but you know our, our not exactly right things are what make us interesting and i think <laughs> i think everybody has those right I, and as long as people are managing okay then like you know maybe that's why we're all being simulated to test our weird brain malfunctions that strikes me as distinctly plausible like everybody in the future is like we were talking right before we got on about like oh yeah in the in the distant transhumanist future where everything's all nice and pain-free people are going to be you know trying to explain like what physical pain felt like or something uh oh i have so, a uh, i have a fun story recommendation for that but i want you to finish your thought first oh you bet it's just the, la- the last part of it is like they'll also all be like perfectly mentally adjusted right. so like i wonder it'll happen if like we made people just like sad for no reason <laughs> or if we, if we made people like you know sad and then crazy happy and then really sad again or like they can't sleep or they need lots of sleep or like <laughs> random shit like that uh-huh. so that could be like all right let's run a simulation where we just like 
you know, roll a 50 sided die and hit everybody with at least one of these things and just see how the world goes. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I really want to recommend, um, a short story by Scott Westerfeld called stupid, perfect world. Okay. This is, uh, in the transhumanist utopian future. Everybody is living in this post scarcity world where there's really high technology. And as part of a school project, kids have to take a scarcity class oh. and they have to choose one ailment <laughs> Oh, to nice. uh, have inflicted upon themselves for a week and then do a report on it. And so uh, the main character decides that he, he's going to sleep because people are kind of <laughs> just like, I think they just recharge. Yeah. Nobody needs to sleep. Uh, another uh, character decides that she wants to have hormones. Hmm. Everyone has hormone balancers. She's like, oh, I want to experience real puberty. And it's just uh, a nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. That sounds like it'd be a great man. Could you imagine if... You know, we weren't all super, like, I think having everyone being exactly of, like, the same perfect level of mental cloth all the time would be super boring. Like you said, dumb, perfect future or whatever it was called. A stupid, perfect world. Stupid, perfect world. It sounded world. fun to me. I mean. Well, I think, no, no, the, the premise of being able to pick something wrong sounds outstanding. That's the part I was going to get at. The, the idea of, like, oh, yeah, no, I don't get stressed because I don't have enough, I never get enough cortisol or or I never have a shortage, whatever causes stress, right? Like, no, I'm I'm always happy and relaxed. Like, I think having thrills and scares and excitements to the point, sometimes where it's even, like, above and beyond mm-hmm. of, like, I'm not sure what a healthy range of experience is, but, like, you know. <laughs> to the point with, where it's not going to give you PTSD. Yeah, or, like, to the point where you're, like, you're like literally, like, squeeing with joy, right? But, so, I feel like having those range of experiences is super valuable, but how cool would the world be if that was a requirement that we could do that, you know, hopefully wouldn't damage you know you did it in a way that wouldn't permanently damage yeah. people but it's like hey why don't you try a week um you know with bipolar disorder or fuck try a week as a black woman you know try a week as a person in a wheelchair just the like i think about wheelchair stuff a lot because the sidewalks near my place aren't great and <laughs> like it I, I i could get over them i've been i've sat in wheelchairs before my grandma we made her a ramp when she broke her leg i don't know 10 years ago and oh. it's, she's she's out of the wheelchair now but um she's in it for i don't know half a year and it was um, pretty amazing the ramp had to be really long for her to be able to get up the up her stairs and it's like three steps mm-hmm. under her own power mm-hmm. uh, granted she was in her mid-70s so like it would take a lot of power or you know she didn't have a lot of power to put into it anyway but you would think oh, okay yeah you just put a board on it and they can wheel themselves up that is like kind of like the naive thought it's like no it's got to be crazy long ramp to be able to push a chair up without it sliding back with you being able to do it with you know weakish arms yeah there's a lot of stuff that is involved with accessibility that i guess abled people don't really think about exactly so i mean how eye-opening would it be to be in a wheelchair for a week where you have the option of getting out right i mean i think you could do that now like you could just be in a wheelchair for a week there you could not give yourself bipolar for a week probably yeah. At least not in a way that would be safe and, ir- and reversible. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, so you could sit in a wheelchair, but I think there's, and that would be eye-opening and maybe they're cost prohibitive and stuff. I want to go through the experiment, but just, you, you know, you couldn't like say change your, I mean, you couldn't easily change your skin color for a week in a way that people wouldn't notice or whatever. Right. <laughs> or like so. accuse you of black facing. Exactly. Um, I wonder like, if that would be, an, like, would it be okay to black face if you were doing it to better understand the experience of living as a black person probably not i'll settle this yes yeah i don't (laughs) i mean blackface is a specific thing where it was at least a specific thing where people would get up in blackface in order to mock black people 
to like look at how dumb and primitive these people yeah. are. They're so funny, haha. But now you can't do it because that like is what that reminds people of. Right. Even if um you cosplay a character with dark skin and you paint your skin to be that character, that's considered a huge no no because yeah, it, is. it is reminiscent of blackface that was done to mock black people. I think it's contributed a huge huge no no by dumb people who I don't care about their <laughs> opinion on this subject about. Right. But I get like where they're coming from, but like I guess ask somebody who would be affected by this and if like the answer is literally nobody or the people who do care don't care then it's up to them right the and people i know have wildly different opinions ranging from like lol i don't care to that would be the worst thing ever <laughs> i thought slap about that, that person in the face i this is completely tangential but that's where we're at right now um like i remember was it, I think, Indian headdresses or something, American Indian headdresses, mm-hmm. where, like, it's a dick move to, like, wear one of those around and, you know, uh, like, or... I think they have some kind of, like, the, the ones that you see worn most often have some kind of specific significance right to mm-hmm. an yeah. Indian tribe. I can't remember the details, but... And so I was talking with somebody once, and it's like, let's pretend, you know, for example, it was, say, a headdress, and, like, 98% of American Indians were fine with it. They're like, we don't care. Do whatever you want. Like, as long as you're not being a dick or mocking us or whatever. But, like, if you think... Or if you're wearing, like, a a, clo- a, a style of fashion for your wedding that's untraditional or something. Mm-hmm. Or not your tradition, whatever, because you're, you're too white to wear a, a sari or something, right? Right. Um, if nobody cares except for, like, one blogger, are you obligated to change your behavior because one person doesn't care? Is it enough that 99% of people don't care? You know, I, I personally think it doesn't really matter. Uh, if you're using it to, like, belittle or mock people, that's not... Sh- that That's an asshole thing to do, and you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that for any... You shouldn't do that for anything. Right. Whether you're, whether you're wearing uh, an Indian headdress or, or something, or... I'm willing to say that on the Indian headdress thing, just due to America's history of, you know, murdering and subjugating all the Native Americans, that we, uh, we're like... We, we should give them... We should be like, okay, our bad... We won't wear a headdress because of these horrible things we've done, you know? But your family got here 30 years ago. Yeah, I know. So, like, you didn't do shit to... No, I know, but... I I am living in this culture. I just... The fact that they were shit on so much, it's like, all right, fine. No headdress, you know? Now, but what if they all said it was okay except for one of them? And I realize this is totally not a point Well, then fuck that one guy. (laughs) 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 So what's the critical mass of people where you can't say fuck them? I I don't know. (laughs) Four... four percent like <laughs> you know they look pretty and as a fashion statement in general i think it should be okay and certainly for anyone outside of the u.s it's probably fine but for americans specifically because of their history uh i i think it's okay for native american people to be like no don't do that and to be not, clear- not just okay but like that american people should respect that and to be clear that's my position is like don't if, if someone's you know, offended by what you're doing, seriously reconsider about what you're doing, mm. and like yeah, or at least ask why is does this offend you? Right. Um. It's, some people do have good reasons, and some of them I think are ridiculous. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of patience with people who are offended on behalf of other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like, if you're a white person wearing a kimono in Japan, despite the fact that they have shops open to rent these to tourists, mm. um, you can find somebody when you share pictures on Facebook like, and can't believe you're doing that, man, and it's like. That's their livelihood. The business owner there decided that they wanted to sell this to me and make money off of it. Are you calling them, like, too stupid? Like, are you saying that you're more enlightened about the subjugation of their culture than they are? I remember this article um, where a Japanese shopkeeper 
read about social justice warriors telling white people that they weren't allowed to wear kimono and she didn't understand the social justice mindset and assumed that they must have just been anti-Japanese racists because why else would they be saying that white people can't wear kimono? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's... like, well, I want everyone to wear my kimono. I think they're great. (laughs) That's why I'm selling them. It is very much a cultural segregationist mindset to say that people cannot borrow from other cultures especially if they're saying please let me sell you this <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah there's a lot of i don't know like a lot of cultural appropriation bothers me because it does um prohibit sharing ideas between cultures sharing art music mm-hmm. culture and then uh and then also yeah like there's native americans who sell handicraft goods mm-hmm. and yeah, dream it, catchers etc like yeah so like People sell those, and some of them probably come from, a, you know, from authentic American Indians, right? I think there's so much scaremongering about, like, don't buy things that belong to this culture, but it's like, what if you're buying handicrafts made by a person of that culture with the intent of selling them for their livelihood? Well, yeah. then you're a racist. <laughs> yeah. I, it's it, just complicated. You, you get too deep, especially into, like you said, the um, the social justice, what was it, what was the word you used, uh, cultural appropriation thing. Where like the rhetoric sounds almost exactly like white supremacists. Mm-hmm. It's like no, no, we got to keep them separated. You mm-hmm. can't, you can't borrow from them. It's wrong. Yeah. You know, sure, it's wrong for different reasons, but it's 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 weird. Anyway, I before we rip ourselves out of this complete tangent, I I do think that like if someone's feelings are hurt, take it very seriously, and especially if they're they're hurt for themselves, not for other people. And I don't know why I was anchored. Oh, I was thinking of, of the headdresses, but. Speaking of American Indians, I do think it's complete fuckery that there are, like, two football teams. Um, oh, my God. And there are protesters from American Indian tribes yeah. outside of every game well, saying, hey, you know what? Especially since one of them is a racist term. Well, oh, my God. Yeah, Redskin and, yeah. and, well, it's racist, but it's also, it's like the other mascots are animals. Like, Not all of them. Mo- well, most of them. Say. Eagles, yeah, Broncos. I can only name, like, mm. five. Oh, wait. Patriots isn't an animal. Giants aren't an animal. All right. But but <laughs> but the theme, the theme right? Is like, I think the theme are things that your opponent would be scared of, or things that project power. So the second one sounds flattering. The first one is kind of derivative of you know of conveying power. But it, anyway, right. so there's there's a there's a heavy animal theme, I guess. <laughs> Whether or not it's even you know, no one calls themselves the woodchucks. <laughs> eh, at least not professional. Right, right. Yeah. Jokingly, maybe, but yeah. yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that calling, I, don't, I, I can't imagine being on the Redskins in a football team. Oh, God, That's no. just weird. Like, imagine just, I don't know, like, what's the equivalent? Being on, like, the, I, I'm trying to think of other racial slurs, but I'm realizing I probably shouldn't have no. to. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Also, wow. I, I, all I wanted to do was talk about with people or Jesus or Hitler in the simulation universe, and now we get into the culture wars. Why is it always the culture wars, man? Well, they're like, just fun to talk about. They're fun to talk about, and I can't oh, remember. They always fucking I'm sure maybe, maybe there's some version and pressure if we played this back about how it made sense that we got here but to, to get back to, to to climb back out of this like certainly i guess if you're if you're solipsistic and you think that oh no i'm the only conscious mind whether or not they're all simulations or they're all like just tricks of the devil or tricks of the the robots or aliens or whatever no there might be um, thousands of conscious minds sure but they you know you wouldn't be able to identify them right right, right. so uh like the, they're oh, most likely to be the people that you interact with often. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and I liked your idea, your your, your thought of like the tourist coming in to visit a young <laughs> Inyash. I think that's you know, that's a fun way to think about it. I I think this was sparked because Robin Hansen once a long time ago said, "What if we take the simulation idea seriously?" And he 
also proposed that you'd probably only simulate people that were historically significant in some way. So in that case, if you want to maximize the amount of time that you are simulated, you should try to hang out with very important people as much as you can. Like, if you know the president is going to be in your town, go to his rallies and stuff, you know? Those are the times where you will be simulated in the highest fidelity. Well, I don't know. Simulating crowds in, like, NASCAR games and stuff. I never play them, <laughs> but I see the trailers. Like, they're not doing much. No. They're, you know, they're just... <sighs> they're paint, yeah. So, like, the... Wait, I think you should... I mean... I think that, well, I that think was his advice. Be I close you, to people who make history. Or, better yet, make history. And so I think what you should do, if you're... Believe, well, you know what? What I think you absolutely shouldn't do is, is like... take any of this seriously. Take any of this seriously. But for the sake of argument, you would you would make more simulations if you, you know, successfully pulled off like a, you know, um, Unabomber style oh, uh, catastrophe, oh. right? Like, I think the future should have a very strict, no simulating abhorrent people policy so therefore none of us are hitler right i suppose so yeah yeah good point yeah they they yeah i guess they'd never simulate hitler they'd never simulate like uh school shooters and shit why are you saying that they should have that rule because otherwise it is encouragement to do those things come again if you, if you want to be simulated you, you and they're they're going to simulate interesting uh, people okay. make yourself interesting by killing lots of people or doing lots of crazy terrible shit right? right like jeffrey dahmer's mind is probably fascinating from like a purely abstract like i want to know what's going on in this person's head kind of thing right. way but right? we should never ever simulate it i think right. this is the same as we shouldn't publicize school shooters or like serial killers but that never works because the media wants to sensationalize uh, this person. The most recent two, they've done a very good job of not saying any names and just calling them the shooter. Hmm. And the, the, so the one that happened yesterday and the one that was a few months ago, like, it was amazing when I was listening to the various newscasts about it. Like, everyone was on board. They were not named at all. I didn't even know the gender of this person. Oh, glad to know. Yeah. I didn't even hear about the one. In, you're talking about the one in California? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That and, happened yesterday, right? Or the day before. Or the day before. I can't remember. But I, I, I didn't even hear about it. So the fact maybe that they didn't talk about this person enough also kept it off my desk. But I guess I wasn't really on Reddit that much this week. So, mm. like, where else am I going to hear about things? Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw something recently where someone was like, oh, look, uh, we haven't had a school shooting in a while. Things are going pretty good. It's like, oh, no. it's been summer, dude. <laughs> like, we take, we take school off in the summer <laughs> in the United States. We, right. There aren't going to be a lot of people at schools to shoot right now. Mm. Um all right, shall we move on? Uh, trying to think if I have anything else. Mm, I can't take the simulation thing seriously. How come? I don't know. It just it just seems like I can't prove it. So I can't prove string theory either. So I'm not really like putting any weight into either of those ideas. The things that you can't prove are the ones that bother me the most. I mean, they, I guess they bother me, but I can't prove it. I can't do anything about it. So there's there's other things I could be using my brain space for. Yeah. Is it weird that I care like extremely little about like which fundamental, at least right now, like which fundamental theory of physics turns out to be true? Not really. It wouldn't impact your life in any way. Neither would simulation theory then, right? Like, I so like, I guess you can take it both ways, right? Like either you're not in a simulation, in which case you should be nice to people and live a good life because like, you know, live healthfully and happily because that makes like you healthy and happy mm-hmm. and you can help the other people around you flourish. And that makes like the universe a better place. Or the universe is just you, in which case, like, who knows what the rules are, but being a good person, like, Still in Bioshock, if you don't harvest the little sisters, you know, you get the happy ending, right? <laughs> so, you you maybe want to do that. Go for the happy ending, even if you think this is a simulation. Um, that's actually a good segue into user feedback, if we want to... Do we want to go there? Do we want to do sequences I next? I would love to go into user feedback. 
Unless you guys want to start with the sequences. No, let's do nah. it. All right. Well, really quick, I was just going to say, I, while, while we're all pulling our notes out for feedback, I, there hasn't been anything in Steven video, Steven's Video Game Corner in a while, because I haven't been playing anything lately. What? I've been, I've been playing Hand of Fate 2 on the Switch, which is like a... I think I talked about it very briefly before. It's it's all right. It's like it's just a little game. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. I haven't been playing anything since Red Dead Redemption Two. Really, mm-hmm. like as far. Oh wait, no, I played Sekiro. Okay. Sekiro. Yeah, that was the new game from From Software, mm-hmm. where like it's way faster and depending on your flavor, better combat. But it's people who made Dark Souls, but they made a new game that's uh cool. Not Dark Soulsy. Um, I've been playing Beat Saber. Oh, oh really? That looks awesome. Yeah, one of my friends has it. It is. Really fun. God, I want to play that. That Ray- sounds awesome. Raymond Arnold posted, um, should I wear wrist weights while playing Beat Saber mm-hmm. <laughs> to like maximize my uh, exercise? And then there was a whole thread <laughs> about wearing weighted we- vests and the fact that like you want to avoid getting tennis elbow. It's just like mm-hmm. really happy that that like threads like that exist it's funny because my immediate answer to that would have been like no because a lightsaber doesn't weigh that much and why else are you playing beat saber unless you're practicing your lightsaber skills <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right um yeah so we can just segue right into graham morrow's uh email uh graham says in your latest episode while discussing the third alternatives to afterlifeism just brought up that even if we believe in afterlives we don't all ourselves I think they mean off ourselves, because heaven is so great. I think it's worth pointing out that while most modern afterlifeists indeed don't do this, early Christianity had a big enough problem with married or dim cults trying to sidestep the Old Testament suicide prohibition and fast-track themselves to heaven that it became a serious problem, and in the decades following Tertullian's praise for such a cult whose members submitted to execution in mass, Christian authorities had to establish a norm that voluntary martyrdom counted as suicide, and would exclude you from heaven. (laughs) To channel Orwell, modern Christians don't appear to believe in the existence of an afterlife as strongly as they believe in the existence of Australia. But it's worth remembering that there was a time when many did. And that's, like, upsetting, actually. Oh, that's upsetting? Is it not upsetting? The idea that, you know, there's a religious cult that says, hey, there's, you know, if you die and you're a good Christian and you do these things, you're going to go to this magic place and then people are just killing themselves. Well, okay, I mean, to get there. yes, that's upsetting. I, I I personally thought it was awesome that there's someone in history who actually took their belief seriously. But, um, you know, the whole fact that they were killing themselves for no reason is, is pretty shitty, yeah. Yeah, they had to, I guess, make the whole law that suicide prevents you from getting into heaven in order to circumvent this, like, exact... <laughs> this exact thing happening. It just, it seems... It's so rare in human anything history psychology whatever it's just so rare to find humans who actually really believe what they say they believe that this was kind of inspiring i think people pretty often believe what they say that they believe yeah maybe it's just that the cultures had enough time to evolve the anti-suicide memetics that people can believe what they believe but not kill themselves was it like the heaven's gate people or which one what was the yeah, Kool-Aid heaven's cult? gate oh Kool-Aid cult was the um oh god heaven's gate did the the they were uh, the ones that the wore the telescope. Nike sneakers. Yeah. And yeah. Believed in the UFO thing. Uh, they went down. It was in It was in Guyana. James. No, Jones. That was Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown. What was the name of the the religion, though? Um, It was. Was it James Jones? The People's Temple Movement. Okay. Sounds religious. But Jeffrey Jones? It was some guy whose first name also started with a J. I think it was John James Jones. That's I, no, no, well, Jim Jones. Jim, Jim Jones. Jones. There we go. Like, I guess in, in any case, I, my understanding is that some people were force-fed the Kool-Aid, but, like, a lot of them were there, like, oh, I'm all over it. Let's do yeah, this. Yeah. 
I, I think, like, when Jess said that I think a lot of people, like, believe, or many people believe what they say they believe, I guess maybe belief, maybe the word believe there is doing too much work because they certainly say this, right? But I guess, I'm, I'm, what does it, like, mean to believe? Um, no, that's not the right approach to take to this. I feel like if you really believed in an afterlife, like, and I brought this up before, but, like, death wouldn't be so traumatic as many people find it to be. Um, and I get, like, you miss the person, but, like, I think people feel like, oh, no, they're gone forever. Um, but the, I, I, I think I'm I'm belaboring points I made before. What I was going to say is that I think it's there's, like, a confidence level where it's like, sure, I believe it. I'd bet 50 bucks, but I wouldn't bet 1,000 to 1 odds, right? Like, I think people just compartmentalize, probably. I also think that there's actually a lot of sadness to losing someone. I now have someone that I have basically lost in my life, but they're not dead, but it still really sucks. And I guess I'm going through a whole grieving process or whatever, and I can see how even if you believed in heaven, you still don't have that person in your life anymore, and so there's still a lot of pain. That's true. I, I think and I'm, I'm drawing this from one example. This is where like I had this realization when I was like 14, and it was this young earth creationist who was a friend of mine's mom. And I think her sister died. I don't know. I've told this before, mm-hmm. but she, she was distraught and distressed over this for months. And I'm like, I totally got it because I didn't think that there was an afterlife, but it's like, she was in her fifties yeah. and it's like, you're going to see her in 40 years and you'll get to spend the next two trillion years together. Like I get that you miss them, but they're like not gone. They're just like away and they're really happy. And they're like, they're not dying of whatever killed them. Right. Yeah. Like, so 40 years is still a long time for someone that you love that you have to wait. It is. But I got the impression that that wasn't the nature of her suffering. Not that like, I want to see, it was, I want to see her again. It was like, she's gone. Mm -hmm. Not like she's over there and I can't talk to her. Right. I think it was methods of rationality where he says like, they would treat the afterlife like, you know, emigrating to Australia in the days of sailing ships where it's like, yes, you're technically reachable, but it's way too much trouble, but I'll be there eventually. Right. Can't you like communicate with people in the afterlife? It depends on what you believe. A lot of people, people seem to think, think so. that, yeah, you can send your prayers to them and they'll answer. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I'm no, that's a good myself point. out with this topic. No, that's actually a good point. Maybe part of what distressed this woman, and maybe I'm not giving her enough credit. I, I think I, I have a poor mental model of her because I met her during my, like, at the beginning of my cynical skeptic age. Yeah. And she was like an anti-vaxxer, a young earth crate, like all the oh things, checked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And but now that I think about it, maybe she tried, you know, maybe she prayed to her sister every night and never heard anything back. And maybe mm-hmm. that was part of what made it so distressing, you know? When I put it that way, it much more humanizes her, which mm-hmm. actually is relevant to the less wrong post that we're not to yet. So, but yeah, anyway, religion's weird, man. And sometimes people believe it all the way to the end of the bullet. So to uh, brighten up the mood, can I read like a couple of sentences from the Wikipedia drinking the Kool-Aid article? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Let's lighten this mood up. Just, I just happened to see this. Um, as a point of fact regarding the phrase itself, it is not known with certainty which of two great powdered flavor mixes, flavor aid, cool aid, or both, were used to concoct the poison in Jonestown. The commune had both among their supplies. Most sources surmise that flavor aid was the primary flavor ingredient used, <laughs> and there are two links. Shortly after the tragedy, manufacturers of both products addressed the matter by pointing out whether their company's particular drink mix was or was not used was irrelevant. A cyanide-laced poison had been created and used to kill people, and their or either respective product was misused as the vehicle to do so. <laughs> That's like when Tiki had to come out with like a, we didn't know they were going to do that with our Tiki torches <laughs> thing after that Nazi rally. 
that was that was actually surprisingly entertaining for for something relating to mass suicide. <laughs> I've got a quick feedback which I alluded to um, before, but sure. And I don't I don't know how to attribute this um, because in your email here or in your mess it's a private message on Patreon. So which actually related to an email, a couple of emails from 2017, which I hope we replied to. And if we didn't, we suck. I'm really sorry. Uh, you could say we can repeat this, but you didn't say anything about your name. So I'll leave you off the air just in case. Um, but we had somebody write in and basically the, the summed up version, this is from the Patreon message, quote, the summed up version is that you, your work helped me escape Mormonism. So you rock. <laughs> the updated version is that my wife also escaped and now we have a second child. I also graduated with my BS in CS and got a job at Google. So this is rationalist winning. That's awesome. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I think I remember that email. It was sent to the HP Moore podcast email, if I recall correctly, the first one in 2017. Maybe. I can't get any of these links open on my phone, so I can't confirm. But okay. uh, the... And yeah, I remember that Like, it was a very heartwarming email to receive. I thank you for sharing that. Yeah. and yeah, That's it, so cool. It is. And it's weird. Like, I, I had a conversation with somebody um, who actually, fuck it, he's been on the show, uh, Zeke. Hmm. He's the guy who got me into programming, got me out of my last job. And like, now I'm on this career path that I really enjoy. My life trajectory is completely altered. And he did it from like a 10 minute conversation. And he sent me an email with a link to automate the boring stuff. Cool. And I told him that like a year later. And he kind of like looked at me like kind of scared. And he's like, that's kind of horrifying. <laughs> I didn't want it. I don't mean to have that big of an impact. And it's like, I thought about it and I, th I think that's just what like what life is like mm -hmm. you don't know what things you're going to do that are going to ripple out and change change things right yeah like I'm a much happier person and who knows what else I would have found if, if he hadn't got me into into computer science but like um, or into programming not computer science not to I don't want to belittle computer scientists by pretending to be one um, <laughs> but my it, it you know I, I can't remember how I found the skeptoid podcast for example but mm -hmm. I've been listening to that since it since some of the first few dozen episodes and um like so from there i found like rationally speaking at some point found hpmor because julia mentioned it in the like what i've been reading lately section that's like a quick throwaway yeah. and i think i remember distinctly i happened to be at a stoplight or something and was able to put that in my phone because it sounded interesting oh wow and mm -hmm. if i hadn't been at a stoplight or if i had stepped out of the car during that part of the podcast i would mm -hmm. never have found the ra i might i may have taken may have never may have been years later mm -hmm. found the rationalist community probably wouldn't have connected with you mm -hmm. like so the littlest things make a big difference for people. And so I guess I'm doing all of this to really to, to minimize the fact like of any grandiosity that like, I feel like I'm doing anything important. <laughs> so while I'm overjoyed that, um, that you have earned your rightful place in the simulated future. <laughs> not, I, I, well, I'm overjoyed that our, our listener, um, had, a, had a, you know, a positive impact from this. Yeah. Um, it's i think it's just like things that happen and this is something maybe a, a thing to take forward like you know if somebody you do nice things for somebody maybe that's like the nice thing that turned their day around and that could turn their their whole life around right mm -hmm. i really side small side thing i know we're sidetracked um when i was leaving i spent the first week of my new job in detroit uh training at the office there and on the flight back um at the airport the like person shepherding the people like us into the line to go through security was like clearly having a really hard time and I don't know what had stressed her out. But as soon as like the person, like the group in front of us that she flagged along, she just like put her hands in her face and started crying. Oh shit. Or, like wait, a TSA her, person. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. The TSA person. 
and I, I walked past because I think I was already a little past her at this point. And, but there wasn't like a crowd behind me. I could have made it back. And I thought about it for like the next five minutes of like, I could still go back there and like give her a hug. Mm. And I didn't. And I felt bad or like at least offered, you know, who knows if she'd want some stranger at the airport touching her germs mm. are everywhere. And you know, airports are disgusting, but like I could have asked like, can I give you a hug? Mm. Um, but somebody from, you know, one of her coworkers came along and did something and she, she chipped up. I kept an eye on her, but like, uh, if you know, who knows if I'd been less cowardice at that moment and you know, it helped her, maybe that made her day better or something. But my point is, is like, do nice things for people and nice thing in try and put stuff out there, put positive things into the universe and positive things happen. Yeah. It's about the most, uh, hippie thing. You yeah. Can say. I was trying to think of who's that crack that is always crank. That's always on like Oprah and Deepak Chopra. Yeah. It's a very Chopra esque thing to say, but I mean it in a way that I hope everybody followed over my 10 minute fucking ramble. <laughs> I think you need more quantums in there to make it Deepak Chopra esque. <laughs> right. right. Thank you. Yeah. You gotta do quantum good things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so who else wants feedback? Uh, well, I can read one from Economic Model, who I believe is actually um, our David guest, the anarchist economist David from a few episodes back. Anyways, he says, uh, we. this is when we had the uh, talk about is rationalism being taken over by the alt-right or co-opted by the alt-right or whatever. Uh, David says, so here's my beef with your suggested solution. If we, start if we start arguing with rationalizer reds, we risk becoming a wing of the blue team, which would be a catastrophic distraction from our core project. We can counteract this effect by equally vociferously arguing against rationalizing blues, anti-nuclear advocates, anti-vaccine advocates, etc. But then we'll basically just be right where we are now, except we'll spend way more time arguing with trolls and morons online instead of doing cool things like aligning AI. Uh, which, first of all, I would like to interject. Some of us enjoy arguing with trolls and morons online, so this is a pastime. Uh, but a much better solution, in my opinion, this is him continuing, is just to cut color politics out of the Bayesian rationalist spaces altogether. You're allowed to be a blue or a red or a green or a yellow and be a Bayesian, but you're to check your color at the door as best you can. Policy discussions can be undertaken, but only with great caution and with a grandmaster presiding. They should be as much as possible about facts and not about values. I basically agree. It's really hard not to get caught up in this thing, though. Like, politics is the mind killer for a reason, right? All the instincts and emotions say, hey, let's talk about how stupid this thing is. Hmm. And I think, like, based on our last episode about culture, I, I actually do think culture is important. I just hate the culture war because it feels to be very zero-sum. Constantly going back and forth and killing everything you love to stay exactly where you are. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Mm. Like culture, be, culture can be super important, and like the current climate of like quote culture wars can be super unproductive and un and in fact like harmful and, and unhelpful, right? Yeah. So, um, and you know, as far as leaving politics at the door and stuff, whenever I bring stuff up, I'm always doing it in a self-aware way, and I'm hoping that like I'm not like I don't know. I feel like if you make it this thing that you can't talk about, then it, it if it's like off the table and whatever. I mean, there have been subjects, you know, we had an, an episode recently about something that was politically climate relevant. Well, I mean, I even the UBI episode, I did appreciate the fact that we managed to stick on UBI and not get sidetracked into, is anarchism a decent form of government? Because we could have gone on that for hours as well, but we had a topic and it was nice to stick to it. Yeah. Not a thing we do often on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think like the, I guess, I don't know, I'm... I'm torn because you're right. Politics is a is a high level subject to talk about as far as like being able to do it with rational 
with any hopes of, of being rational about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why generally when I talk about it, it's mainly flippant comments. And I realize that that doesn't exactly like uh, that doesn't absolve me, but it doesn't mean that like, I'm not making like, this is my case and I've come to it, you know, as an empirical, empirical rationalist. And this is my, my best Bayesian conclusion. I'm mainly just pointing out like, isn't that stupid or isn't that funny? Um, or wouldn't that be cool? I'm, I, so I'm hoping like my lack of pretension is, is there like I'm not this isn't like oh no I'm strongly convicted in this there are things I'm strongly convicted in and it's hard not to you know like the um like that punching Nazis episode hmm. that we did a couple years ago like that was topical yeah and it was politically related but it was mainly tied to like the is oppressing terrible free speech with violence a cool thing to do or not I'm also kind of reminded of Stalin's old quote that you may not be interested in war but war is interested in you you know yeah just because you aren't willing to fight it doesn't mean it isn't going to come for you Jess, do you have opinions on this? Um, just going back to the politics is the mind killer sequence. The idea behind it wasn't never talk about politics. It was don't yeah. talk about politics as a beginner rationalist. Especially not when trying to make points about something not at all related to politics. And yeah, I do think that, I think uh, David actually said this, um, focus on the facts, basically. Yeah, you can talk about policy discussions, but make them empirical. Yeah. And um, I'm interested in what he means by... Only with great caution and with a grand master presiding. <laughs> I don't think that we have that designation yet. I would love for that to exist. I love the idea um, from Eliezer's story, Three Worlds Collide. They had like the yeah. confessor, wasn't he called? Yeah. There was someone who was a professional rationalist who was supposed to be present in order to point out cognitive biases and <laughs> distortions and whatnot. God, that'd be First an of awesome all, I want world. that to be my job. Secondly, <laughs> I, <laughs> I would, want these people to exist. I would be absolutely awful at that job, but I want someone like that around Imagine to help if me. There was one just like at every uh, like business meeting at your company. There's just a dude in a black robe there that's like, ah, oh, that was a uh, your 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 I don't know. Um, Not even business meetings. I would like one of those people to be around bias. every time. <laughs> yeah, I'd like one of those people to be around every time I'm like having a conversation with someone that I love because <laughs> those are the worst. Oh yeah. I think uh, at the very least, Enosh, you know, if you're going to say you'd make a terrible confessor, but you want one around, I think that's huge points in your favor anyway. Okay. Like, I mean, someone if. You, I think a lot of people would be like, no, I don't want some asshole in my ear telling me like if I'm thinking wrong, right? So I, to say I would like, a, you know, someone in my ear help, helping with my thinking is, is you know, I would like that too, I think. Well, I know that I often do get sucked into these things. Like I, I legitimately do enjoy arguing sometimes just for the sake of it and I get carried away and I really need someone like that to be around and be like, hey, you're just being dumb right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to draw a, a minor contention with you completed trolls and morons earlier mm. and they're very different yes they are yeah the very bad wizards uh, a couple episodes ago had a great dive into kind of the difference there i just heard that one yeah but they brought up my favorite troll ever. Well, i mean i guess i don't have a long list of trolls but i am on the, the ken m subreddit <laughs> and the whole thing is you know just doubling down on whatever crazy bullshit comment that he just had and it, so he, I, I won't get into it but if you're interested just go to like r slash i think ken underscore m um just see examples let me confirm but he's just he's just a professional troll and you can tell and they're, they're also Not professional in that he gets paid for it but he's a professional level of troll right and it is just ken capital k capital m no underscore okay um yeah like it the other thing that i really like about it is it's not mean-spirited it's not you know going in and, and messing with groups it's just throwing in like a crazy comment you know like or commenting on like i don't know some food 
sites or some food company's Facebook page and like, oh, look, we're making your casserole and like like a picture of it. And like inside the oven, it's just also a bunch of magazines. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's great, Ken. You should probably take those out of there. It's like, no, that's just how grandma used to make them. <laughs> and it's like, you know, that no one's getting hurt from that kind of trolling, right? It's just hilarious. Anyway, that's... Trolls can be funny. Yes. Usually my experience with them is that they are not... Yeah. Right, yeah. There's the difference between like trolling as a harmless game and trolling to be a dick, so... Um, I'd like to follow up with a comment uh, on the same topic. Yeah, this was a good one. So Architect of Ages uh, notes, it's interesting to note the philosophical history of this phenomenon. And by this phenomenon, let me back up. We're still talking about the whole uh, alt-right, um, rationalism, are they commingling too much or whatever. Architect of Ages says, in short, the continental analytic divide after the the continental slash analytic divide after the enlightenment produced competing worldviews one in which the scientific slash analytic approach was the last word with respect to what counted as truth e.g scientism skepticish movements etc and one which continued the enlightenment's program of deconstruction of such grand narratives e.g postmodernism critical theory the upshot of all this is that two relatively isolated philosophical traditions are dictating rhetorical bedfellows in the pre- are dictating rhetorical bedfellows in the present day. Shapiro, atheists, and rationalists can be seen as descendants of the analytic tradition, asserting that if it can't be resolved by experiment or analysis, it's either bullshit or not even worth debating. Feminist and social justice movements can be seen as descendants of the continental tradition, asserting that science and logic are great and all, but they're always interpreted through a cultural or contextual lens, so there's no such thing as purely objective interpretation of findings. TLDR, echoes of a post-enlightenment split in philosophy are why the alt-right, atheists, rationalists, etc. use similar rhetorical techniques. It's not really co-opting so much as parallel evolution. That's a fun spin on it. That is kind of awesome. I wonder if people in those camps would agree with that. Um, well, I'm in one of those camps. I'm happy to agree with it. <laughs> but I don't really know that much about the history of the, the two thinking movements. Yeah, I've heard things like continental philosophy thrown around and stuff. And the level of philosophy that I studied was always more just like specific ideas. And I'm sure those came up and like, oh, yeah, the continental peoples thought this and mm-hmm. whatever. I, so I don't have anything to weigh in there, I guess, is other than like, yep, those are big movements and cultures within within the history of those fields but not anything that i know anything about i know a little bit about postmodernism, and what i do know pretty much lines up with the idea that the facts don't really matter it's what um how people on the ground interpret it and it's all about like the cultural context which you hear a lot from you know the those other sides that we god damn it you can just say jordan peterson <laughs> i don't think he'd mind okay yeah i mean so that that's his thing I, or I'm, I'm sure his thing would take 40 hours to explain but like there are there are people who would say yeah no that's fine truth is cult is culturally lensed right? Right, right and while i think i can see what that position means and i can see where it implies in some cases i think people are too quick to mott and bailey that yeah and say therefore like whatever like truth I your disagree truth as a white oppressor is not the same as my truth as a oppressed minority or whatever and, and like so then i've heard somebody say like oh yeah and because um you know science was mostly white guys in the past that means it's all white bullshit i'm like you go you go to the top of a building and drop something and tell me how fast it falls like you know you don't have to be you can do this wearing a blindfold you can do this being you know a three-legged martian like it doesn't matter right i saw someone arguing against vaccines using that very thing that this is all old white dudes which we can't trust because it's old white um uh, so i think facts it, so or like whatever it, it, it conflates like at my last job i was working on vaccines 
That's awesome. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I am white. <laughs> That's true, but not old. <laughs> right, you're not an old guy. Um, we're back in culture war stuff. But yeah, I, I, yeah. But sorry. I, I, no, no, no. It's, it's totally fine. But I guess all I will say is that like, it, there are definitely things to where statements of, of proposed fact, of purported fact, can be completely obscured by cultural lensing and others in which they completely really can't. Like, again, the, the, the speed of gravitational acceleration on Earth, it doesn't matter who's measuring that. Um, if it did turn out that for whatever reason, if, if you had a black scientist and a white scientist drop things off of a building, they <laughs> each drop 10 pound bowling balls and they fell at different rates, mm-hmm. that would be a bizarre scientific finding on its own, right? Dude, that would um, be awesome. You yeah. could manipulate the laws of physics based on the color of the person. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like easier, like faster than light travels possible, but only if you're, if you're of Asian descent or something. Seriously. <laughs> um, so yeah, since, that, since, so there's, there's like statements of like physics that are un- unchallengeable, but I mean, I think this is more kind of, um, there's a lot of drug safety tests that have only been done in healthy white males. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, um, so that's that's I think a good mid-level example of on this kind of scale I'm picturing in my head, and at the other end it could just be like you know the fact that like oh no you should call the cops if you're in trouble or if there's an emergency, like that's, I mean, the the long version of that fact has a bunch of contingencies that are implicit for the person making that statement, but for other people it's like I'm never going to call the cops to come to my house right, um, so and for for good reason and that's just like no nope, that's and it's not just like culture it's just also like no my the lived experience of of me and everybody i know says that's a terrible idea um there are less inflammatory examples but anyway whatever so yeah man who's next okay so that's um the one that's says david talked about something related to a debt to society and Inyash's answer reminded me of one of my treasured SSC post burdens. Sorry, can I interject? And you, you kind of you mumbled the name. You said just reply this shit. It sounded like you were saying just reply that shit. Like, <laughs> oh, the, the Reddit the Reddit username of this person was just to reply or just, just to, reply to reply this, this shit. shit. Yes. <laughs> that so. is all one word, and that is, yeah, that is the person's name. So just to reply this shit says David talked about something related to a debt to society. And Inuyasha's answer reminded me of one of my treasured SSC posts, Burdens. There's something else I've never said, because it's too deeply tied in with my own politics, and not something I would expect anybody else to understand. This is a quote from uh, Burdens, by the way. And that is, humans don't owe society anything. We were here first. If my patient were back in the environment of evolutionary adaptedness, in a nice tribe with Dunbar's number of people, there would be no problem. Maybe his cognitive problems would make him a slightly less proficient hunter than someone else. But whatever. He could always gather. But society came and paved over the place where all the roots and berry plants grew, and killed the buffalo, and dynamited the caves, and declared the tribal bonding rituals problematic. Society got where it is by systematically destroying everything that could have supported him, and replacing it with things that required skills he didn't have. Of course it owes him when he suddenly can't support himself. Think of it as the ultimate use of eminent domain. A power beyond your control has seized everything in the world. It had some good economic reasons for doing so, but it at least owes you compensation. In the end, it's a disagreement of values. Very good post. That's, yeah. yeah, I haven't read that one, and I loved every passage of it. And can I just interject? Jesse read that, like, eloquently and articulately. Oh, thanks. I was reading along with you, and I wasn't reading it as smoothly as you were saying it. So you've got quite a skill. <laughs> Yay. I've been working on <laughs> It's good. reading aloud. Well, then, I, props. <laughs> I'm noticing. Um, I, yeah, I also really enjoy Burdens. 
And uh, something that bugged me since I was a kid is the idea that you can't actually decide to just go back to being a hunter-gatherer. There's no land that you can go live on. Like, kind of, society has come along and strong-armed you and is like, alright, you have to live by the rules of our system, go to school, and obey the laws of whatever country you happen to have been born in, and, like, you don't really get the chance to opt out of that. It kind of sucks. Yeah, like, they're even, like, just miles of open field and, like, basically prairie uh, environment between, like, here and, or between, like, Fort Collins and Cheyenne, about a... Uh, 75 miles north of where we are mm-hmm. and there are buffalo there are there are antelope like presumably if you wanted to go out there you could you could for, carve out a living for yourself but that's somebody's property that the land belongs to somebody it's behind a fence i'm assuming the animals be- not the not the antelope but the buffalo belong to people or they're like protected right yeah so, like everything's somebody's property yeah you, you so you're right like it the even like if if nature's even calling to you and you can see it, it's like, but I can't because I'll go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> you can just look at it from this side of the fence. Man, when I was uh, in college and I was working and going to school, commuting an hour both ways, and that was just my entire life. I had these fantasies about just walking off into the Pine Barrens with a camping tent <laughs> and a Bowie knife. And I read a lot of uh, survival, like, you know, uh, Hatchet and whatnot. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, it would be so tempting to just leave all this bullshit behind and just like go live in the woods. You'd probably be able to for a while. For a while, yeah, you might be able to. Because like, there's have, there's a lot of pine barrens. Yeah, to have any serious life though, I think like you said, you'd need a tribe of hundredish people. You need culture too. Yeah. And that'd be harder to hide from people when you're living on their land. And it's also hard to get ninety nine other people together that want to do this. Because, you know, then <laughs> or at least to stop them from infighting. And yeah, well, then there's also, you know, the disease and all the other things that people generally and the lack of Netflix that after a while people are going to be like, I'm going back to society. I heard season four of Stranger Things was really good. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it's because like physically that option's been off the table for me for ages. But like, I don't know. I I always kind of find the you mentioned like camping and like, you know, cooking stuff over a fire. Like yeah. that sounds like a lot of fun. I want to try that and get, you know, get a taste of what it was like to live as an ancestor. Of well, course, let's go camping. Be, huh? Yeah, it's amazing. Like we'll we're, the jokes you're making about TV, you actually like if you're in the woods for a couple of days. You don't miss any like books, TV, any of that. It's so yeah. like um, I forget who said this. There's someone who was a uh, explorer. No, I can't remember the name. It was someone famous. But he said that like the only time in my life I wasn't bored was living in a cave. Hmm. It's the only time that I've ever experienced like no boredom ever. That's fun. I, it depends on your, uh, I guess a lot of your set and setting there for yourself too. I remember when Sam Harris described his first uh, like silent retreat for meditation, <laughs> he was just like inundated with like crazy, like crushing boredom. Yeah, but he wasn't. Well, I don't think he was uh, camping and like gathering food and trying to build a shelter. I think he was at a retreat. That yeah, he was meditating. That stuff all was day. taken care of. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. If you're, if you're busy. Do building a shelter all day that sounds not boring at all it's so fun yeah. yeah it's so satisfying um i went camping a little while ago and one of the i don't know i just was like i'm gonna make a daisy chain i'm gonna make everybody a daisy chain and for hours i just gathered flowers of different colors and made different daisy chains and it was i was like kind of in like bliss mm-hmm. <laughs> i was in like a bliss state it just occurred to me that daisy chain can be a literal thing and not uh, <laughs> not just a sex no, act this was not a sex what? act I, oh i'm sorry what were you thinking i was thinking like where you lay like a series of steps along for like an argument or like i'm gonna explain to you like through a daisy oh, chain i was thinking about wi-fi but what is this uh, sex and, you, act? and you were talking yeah right, i mean i'm you, sure you can imagine I, yeah okay 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 <laughs> is all right 
Sorry. No, no, you're good. Anyway, I think back, I'm picturing it. It's a lot burdens. of people doing things. Yeah. And, and, but sorry. No, you're good. Can I just plug in really quick then that I think anybody who thinks this sounds like fun or sounds terrible, uh, really, anybody should check this out if you have 15 free minutes. Check out um, this YouTube channel called Primitive Technology mm, yeah. where there's no voiceover, there's no narration, there's no music, just the sound of him working. And it starts with him building crazy simple stuff like a hatchet. Or starting a fire. Like, not even a hatchet. Like, a stone, uh, sharpened stone right. on a stick. Yeah, ex- a, a primitive... Most people, uh, when they think hatchet, hacking. think, like, metal, you know? That's right, yeah. A, a, a hacking tool to make cutting branches easier for f- further work. Yeah. And um, if you enjoy... Wa- it's it's all, it's all it's oddly tranquil to watch, because it's calming. It's there's Like I said, there's just the ambient noise of, of the work in the woods that he's doing. Um, but if you want to take it another level, you put on closed captions... And he describes all the stuff that he that he's doing in there, and then they get to be really complicated. Where he built like a house with like, um, or like a hut rather. Yeah, was that the guy that built the mud hut that had plumbing and everything? I didn't. I don't know about the plumbing. It probably that he probably has definitely done that at some point. But it also had the, uh, like thermal heating from underneath. Or yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah that, that guy. Yeah, he he built uh like the whole thing out of clay cubes that he baked himself, like the roof shackling out of, out of everything that he you know baked in his own little kiln that he built by hand. All of it's really cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's one way to do it. I think. I think this is all from stuff in the area that he's working to. I don't think he goes and gets any of the equipment for it. Like, cause all the equipment. It looked that like he, it was just stuff that was on site. Yeah, he was building with. But I'm wondering, like, if you know, if if the environment that he's in didn't have you know clay hot enough to build a kiln to to cook these ceiling or right, what do you call right. them roof tiles or whatever. But I think it did. So mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's really cool. And if living in nature is your kind of thing, it sounds like fun. I have a friend who has he's big into camping and outdoorsy stuff, and I was telling him about this, and he was like, "I'm kind of wary to watch that because I feel like I might just go do that." <laughs> and yep. he, he has since reported back he just enjoyed watching the program. He didn't. He so far hasn't left society behind. So. <laughs> So far, yeah. being the operative. Anyway, the post burdens, um, if you haven't read it, the idea behind it was somebody had written into Scott saying that they felt like a burden on society because they weren't able to do all the cool stuff other rationalists are doing, like align AI or make cool scientific discoveries. And Scott's reply was this um, society doesn't owe you anything explanation. Like, I think that this is actually very comforting for people that do feel like, what, what is my purpose it's like, well, you know, you, you don't have to have a purpose. You were here first. We did this thing to society. <laughs> if you have to collect welfare because you're disabled or if you're, you know, going through hard times, that's like kind of society's fault and society can take care of you. <laughs> you I don't really have to think, feel bad about this. I really think the search for purpose is more a search for being meaningful to other people. Like yeah. the fact that other people would notice if you weren't there and rely on you for certain things is very comforting and when you don't have anyone that relies on you for anything anyone who knows you as the person to go to for x or y it's alienating and your life feels empty and i think that's most everyone in modern society i i think of the like three or four like philosophers i know who make their living doing philosophy as like professors i think a lot of them struggle with like nihilism and like how do i find meaning because i've been you know i spent my entire undergrad degree or you know uh, years reading about how life is pointless because all these philosophers said so mm-hmm. and they all have kind of different approaches um one guy who i like the most is also just really charismatic and fun the fun thing is important because i think that's I, he never said this but i think that was his answer is like fun is how i make life meaningful yeah. when i'm having fun i'm in a flow state thing like i'm you know it 
it's just fun. Right. So he plays a lot of games. He does uh, like you know volleyball, um, uh, but a lot you know team activities and stuff too. So there's there's the social component to it mm-hmm. as well. Like rarely am I as happy as when I'm helping somebody move because it just you're useful to someone. You you are meaningful to them. You're also good at it. I've helped you I move guess. a few times, and okay. you, you move with efficiency. Oh well, yeah. I saw I doesn't matter. It was like a picture on Reddit of like a perfectly packed uh, U-Haul, mm-hmm. and the guy standing in it made me think of Drake <laughs> because Drake <laughs> is the conductor for your moves, and he's yeah. so good at it. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, could I pay him to help me move? Sure. <laughs> I think he would be very happy to Sweet. do that. Yeah, and the I don't know. <laughs> I, I just I suddenly had a flash to the original World of Warcraft, which is re-releasing in just a few weeks. That yeah, it's a great game for giving you that sort of feeling of meaningfulness to other people, since they rely on you to be there to get their game stuff done. But like I said, it's it's not true meaning; it's a simulated one. Well, are they real people or are they NPCs? They're real people. Okay. They're real people that really need your help to do this dungeon. Like you need 40 people all together at once working together. I think you get some meaning out of that. You do. I definitely got some meaning out of it, but it's... And I think they get the feeling of being helped. Like, I mean, having somebody show you the ropes and, you know, or take you through a tough challenge. Well, don't don't get me wrong. It feels really good. I'm going to play the fuck out of Warcraft Classic (laughs) when it releases. I just am now cognizant that it is eventually the game is going to go away. Whereas in the real world, if you were helpful to people, they're still there as long as they're alive, you know? Yeah, but so is like the, the imp- and I'm, maybe I'm overstating this too much, but like so is the imprint of them like, oh, that really nice person helped me do this. Hmm. And like that, that, that feeling, you know, carved into their brain a little bit made them a better person, you know? Yeah, I still, I still know some people, not know, I still have grooves in my mind from some people in my guild and like, I don't know any of these people's real names. So I have no idea how to contact them, but I'm like, Man, Figround was just an awesome paladin. (laughs) So, uh, can we get to this J. Thomas Morris comment? Uh, Yes. Can I... Is it okay if we hit these two as well? Oh, yeah. Go for it. Okay. This was also from, uh, just to reply to this shit, uh, mentioned that... I I believe that's who posted this because I don't have any breaks. Okay. In one of Scott's posts... A commenter argues that uh, they expect almost everybody on a basic income would quit. But then Ozzy brings up that there are various ways that skilled workers can work part-time to make 10000 per year. The easiest way is to work a 100000 k per year job one year in 10, which honestly probably a lot of better programmers could do. Uh, since almost nobody does that, it seems unlikely that these people would really quit their job in exchange for basic income. And uh, I, bl- I don't remember who wrote this next part, but they say, I'm glad Ozzy showed up because I used to think the same thing. And Ozzy reminded me that I wasn't taking any of the opportunities to work much less in exchange for much less money either. So I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, I believe that they were quoting, that was Scott talking okay. about something Ozzy had said, okay. <laughs> being quoted by this commenter. <laughs> Triple but, um, quotes. Yeah. Quadruple uh, at this level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's the, yeah, there's the common... Uh, argument against ubi that if you know we institute ubi lots of people are going to just quit their jobs and i think some people will and they're probably the people that maybe are not working a job that's super important anyway or uh i don't know maybe aren't aren't contributing as much as oh this is coming off badly (laughs) what i mean is they're bullshit jobs yeah i worked at at mcdonald's for six weeks i hope that in five years no one's doing that job 
Most of the time I spent as what they called in the store, fry bitch (laughs) or fry guy, (laughs) where you stand over the fryer and you're constantly putting out fries. If you're at McDonald's, they're supposed to be cooked no more than seven minutes before they're handed out the window or to the person. Mm -hmm. So there's always somebody standing over this grill or this grease bucket putting in fries and standing there getting all the hot waves of it in their face. And uh, that's 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 a job that like I I, I, I can outsource ima- that to robots please <laughs> yeah and i can imagine somebody enjoys that like but there are other things that they could do that they'd enjoy more like maybe doing it at their house for their friends rather than doing it under the high pressure environment where all the machines are screaming at them for eight hours a day five days a week yeah yeah or for slightly under that so they don't get paid benefits <laughs> <laughs> God. um yeah for 34 hours a week but um i remember i was this is tangential i was in a conversation with somebody for like 30 minutes about UBI and how people wouldn't find leave meaning without jobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, this was over like messenger. So we weren't like, this would have been handled in under two minutes, probably in real life. But mm-hmm. because this was back and forth over a text chain, I finally just was like, wait a minute. Why are we talking about it? Like it's the end of like productivity or jobs. Like if you're going to like, if you're going to be miserable without work, then like keep working. Yeah. You know? The- and also were you chatting over messenger while you were at work? No. Oh, okay. I think I made that would have been a beautiful ironic twist. That would have been nice. No. Mm. Um, I'm happy to say it, certainly at this job, I tend like I I've rarely even been on Reddit this week and it sounds like I have a problem. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean like when I'm at the, when I'm at this job, I try to be productive the entire time and I'm usually busy. Cool. Today was kind of annoying because I was basically stuck on something for the second half of the day. Mm. So, um, I couldn't be productive and I didn't even really have the energy to like like develop myself like oh no i I, i've got right now 30 something tabs open on different chrome windows like i'm gonna get around to reading these eventually i didn't even read any of those like i was just so that was that was my bad but anyway yeah productivity work stuff Mm -hmm. total side side point so yeah i think the other point is that 10k a year is not living large right i mean you could it's do not it. Really li- it's barely living. You could live on it, but a lot of people probably will take that 10K and then also work maybe not 40 hours, but maybe 30 or 20. Yeah. Yeah. But you put that 10K on top of the 17K a year you're making from McDonald's, and boom, you're suddenly living at almost twice the capacity that you're living at before, you know? Mm-hmm. You're able to, like, buy groceries and go out to eat once a week or something. If so. your boss is a sexually harassing asshole, you can tell him to stuff it. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. You have mobility now. You've mm-hmm. got your. 10k that you can go take somewhere else or you can go back to school like it opens up a lot of opportunities for you yeah i think it would make a lot of employers have to act a lot better which would be great yeah absolutely okay uh you said you wanted the j thomas moros yeah this was another one about ubi i wanted to read this because i think i agree with all of it uh j thomas morris says several points that i would have liked to hear brought up that weren't one humans are generally bad at managing uneven income A single check at the end of the year when you file your taxes and get an NIT tax payment could be much worse for low-income people than a monthly check. I can attest to that from personal personal observation of Mm. people who come from like low-income or like low financial stability households. Um, I watched somebody getting like a a modest inheritance of like I think maybe fifteen or twenty thousand dollars from a from a grandparent or something, Mm -hmm. and they bought a new car, and it's like. That's great. And I, they were driving around a clunker before that. And like, <laughs> just buy a better clunker mm-hmm. and put $15,000 away. You'll be in a better, you'll have more money than your parents combined savings. Like, yeah. uh, and, but there's, there's the problem that like, 
when you grow up in a scarcity environment, it's like this resource could go away. I need to, I need to utilize it right. I think we've talked yeah. about this a bit before. Yeah. And I mean, that's the problem. It often does. If you have loved ones that need money, what are you going to do? Not give it to them? Right. Yeah. So if you don't spend it right away, it could very well be gone before you can spend it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And if you put it in a new car, it's still there. Mm-hmm. You could liquefy it again. Yeah, I'd have to, but yeah, exactly. It's not a good investment, but it is a no. thing, <laughs> and it's something that you got out of it. It's not just gone. Yeah. Um. And yeah. I mean, I'm I'm assuming this person still has this car. If they took care of it right, it'll last them for 15 years. You know, so like they've they've got a a safe and sound thing out of it. So. Mm-hmm. So two consider people who don't expect to receive an NIT payment this year, but then have a sudden drop loss. Under UBI, this person will automatically receive their UBI payment on time, on the expected date next month. They can count on it. They don't have to do anything to get it. An NIT may not pay out until the end of the year. This would be disastrous for the many Americans with no savings. That's a damn good point and two great reasons, I think, to have a, a UBI rather than an NIT. Yeah. I suppose my, my mental model of David Spearman would say that implementing an NIT on like the monthly basis would increase the overhead cost, which would decrease the amount that you get. Um, or increase the amount that you'd have to pay in that other people have to pay into it or something. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be the counter argument, but I don't know what they would say or what he would say rather about, um, those particular obje- objections, um, that cause those, yeah, I agree. Those are good points. And then they go on to say, while I am a fan of UBI, I have some concerns about how it would play out in practice. One, a UBI should really replace many government welfare programs. Exceptions include services for mentally handicapped and others. This replacement is what would enable the UBI to save money and eliminate disincentives to marginal income that exist in the current program. However, it seems very unrealistic to me that the American political system will ever be able to achieve this. Damn shame. For the record, I think that's Yang's idea. Andrew Yang, the presidential yeah. candidate. To replace? Yeah. Oh. So if you're getting Social Security, or excuse me, oh. it, it's it's a, you get to pick. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're on Social Security and your total benefits are 1200 a month, then you don't get UBI. Right. Um, if they're 800 a month, hey, scrap your crappy Social Security and grab UBI. You're making another 200 bucks a month. Yeah. So I do agree with the caveats for people, you know, using them for additional services, that kind of thing. So. Right. Yeah. And then uh, the second concern was setting the level of UBIs is very problematic. First, it's hard to know what a good level to set it to is. Worse than that, though, adjusting it will be a political issue that the politicians can argue over and mess up. Look at minimum wage laws. In many localities, the minimum wage isn't indexed to anything. It stays constant, eroding the spending power of those making minimum wage year after year until the politicians finally decide to change it. Then they may raise it too much or too little. I think indexing is avoided because the politicians want to be able to argue over it. Even if it's indexed, it's subject to change by the politicians at any time. UBI should be a basis for financial stability. It isn't clear to me that this would be the case, which, uh, The problem with the government is that it's run by people in the government. And I, yeah, I agree. I still would rather have it than not (laughs) and have Mm -hmm. it be argued over. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that (laughs) there aren't going to be problems with it. There certainly are just, I think, fewer problems than... The amazing thing is that, um... Social Security is basically a UBI for people over 65, and yet it still works. Like, all these issues also apply to Social Security, but people seem to think it is not terrible, right? Well, at least, like, morally, it seems like people think that people over 65 have earned it, which yeah, some of them have. But, I mean, more to the more to the point, like, that, that also has the same problem of eroding spending power, not being indexed to anything, politicians can change it at any time. But they don't. It's like 
this third rail of politics that if you try to touch it, you get lynched. Yeah. Well, the over 65 crowd has power. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's a big voting block. They, and they, they have no, nothing, they have all the time in the world to vote, which is kind of, I think it was a John Mulaney joke about like, they also vote on things that like definitely won't impact them, like electing people who don't care about climate change or something. And <laughs> he's like, that's bullshit. You don't get to order for the table and then leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly uh, that is interesting. That That's a good point. That does stay pretty solid. And, but per the point of the commenter, like I think, if you're if you're dependent on your UBI like to pay your bills and it could fluctuate based on the outcomes of the midterm election down to 500 bucks a month or something like that could devastate you financially but there um, there are a number of issues which politicians some politicians are even scared to touch cuz they know if they if they do anything wrong on the subject the people in their district will out them in a hot second yeah. UBI could become like that if everyone counts on their ubi i could easily see that person if it drops 500 like rioting yeah. that would have happened to a bunch of people in that county and then they're going to be on the governor's ass or whoever's i wonder that might be something that politicians are hesitant to touch and then also the politicians themselves would be getting it too like kind of the joke i was going to make was that also the above 65 crowd probably is a lot of the politicians as well they're not collecting social security though they're active yeah. politicians <laughs> but aren't they and, well their families maybe and yeah i, I don't yeah, i think they they're not prohibited from collecting it, are they? I don't think so. Maybe it depends as on. As long the, as they're uh, over sixty-five, I think they can take it. I, I, they probably can take it, but I mean, if you're, if you're, I'm assuming if you're making, if you, I don't know how much a congressperson makes, but I Jack imagine shit, really, really. Oh yeah, they don't make very much at all. Well, per on their paychecks, maybe that's right. why they're so incentivized to take bribes and, and <laughs> I mean, all that sort of I stuff. I think that was. Uh, I don't remember who proposed it. Um, probably Brian Kaplan or or uh, Robin Hanson, one of those crowd. But someone proposed, you know. We really should uh, make it illegal to take jobs after you've served in, in the public sector and also jack up these guys' wages by at least 10 times more than they're making right now because it's really crap all compared to basically anyone working in the private sector at a comparable level. I did yeah. find that since 1984, all members of Congress have paid into Social Security and are eligible for the same benefits that all participants receive. Nice. I, I, I'm curious what the, the history is behind Social Security about how, how it attained that kind of holy status. Because um, I could imagine it being highly contested at the time. And Can like, you? I feel like respect for elders is, I mean, we, going back to the uh, cultural evolution essay, like we as a species uh, have this reverence for elders. And particularly, you know, if you consider someone who's been in the system working for 65 years, or like, probably not the entire 65, but... Yeah, I I guess, but I mean, as far as the the sanctity of like not adjusting the numbers or something, hmm. um, or like not not saying let's give it a five percent less and be able to do this or whatever, because that there could be a reasonable claim about why that might be a good idea or something, but nobody makes them that I hear about. I don't follow, hmm. I guess, all the the proposed legislation that closely, but hmm. yeah, you, you make a good point though, Jess. Maybe it is, maybe it did pass fairly fairly easily, but I, I, I yeah, and I would also suspect just that being a large member of the voting block like yeah would be the reason that that's that strikes me as the most plausible yeah i mean like there's also i mean people are supposed to care about kids and stuff but arguing about school funding is something that people are more than willing to do when it comes to like saying how we're going to spend government money um and even people are even people who will say like why should i care none of my kids are going to school that's like saying nope i i'm not collecting social security so why should i care if anyone's getting it um 
it I get like maybe there's more reference for old people than children, but I feel like our society kind of values both. Maybe it just is that old people are such a powerful voting block. That's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think everybody in the US that would be a pretty big voting block too. Well, if people got got out and did stuff. I mean, if everyone gets UBI, if it is you. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, if if that that's a good point. If this is out there and then like the vote to change it comes to the public, it's like, "All right, guys, do you want to vote to lower the how much money you're getting a month?" Everyone's going to say, "Fuck no." I think we need to start wrapping up. Do we want to get one more comment in? Oh, there's this one about deathists. I I was thinking that one. All right. Well, we we can do that one, but I want to plug this and maybe you guys can at least respond to it on Reddit. Okay. Um somebody wrote in uh, cuz we talk about EA a lot and they were like, "Hey, I kind of want to do this. How do I give to charity effectively?" Oh yeah. And we had a whole EA episode. Um, yes, we did. And like my my two cents that I tried to put in the in the post or in my reply was like, you know, you can find the most effective charities through GiveWell. Um mm-hmm. if you're if your metric is incre- increasing the number of like quality adjusted life years of humans. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, that's givewell.org. Right. And my other like I don't think that this this isn't like me as an ea person because i'm not sure what their lingo is for this but like whatever cause it is that you care about there are charities that are doing it better and worse mm-hmm. right if you care about feeding hungry people in the united states or uh, curing a certain disease or whatever i think i used the breast cancer pink ribbon example um like all all the the uh what is it susan b something susan b anthony yeah the the pink ribbon breast susan b Komen. Komen. Oh, oh, right. yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Very different person. Um, that other Susan B. Yeah. yeah. Why did Susan B. Anthony sound familiar? Who's that? Uh, she was almost on the quarter because she was one of the first women that ran for president, right? Among other things, she was a, a suffragist. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I knew I knew the name, and I'm glad that I saw, like it dinged a bell in my head, and I didn't bother to check which one. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but most of their money goes to more ribbons. Yeah. So, like, to the extent that that increases awareness and awareness is a good thing because that goes towards actual research, that's probably a good thing. But at the end of the day, that's big business. Breast like, cancer already is close to maximally funded. Right. Like, more money getting put into that is not going to bring about a cure to breast cancer any sooner. Probably not, right? One of not, the, not, yeah. Not enough that where you're really going to make a difference. I mean, going to the effective altruist forums uh, or discussion areas is not a bad idea because one of the things they do often take into consideration is how well-funded is this cause area? Like, is it something that could use more funding very well or would the ad- additional dollar not have that much additional uh, impact? There's, there's quite a few things to consider when, uh, when making these decisions. I will say that effective altruists all, uh, often focus on things like existential risk, like things that could wipe out the human race because those are <coughs> considered uh, especially big and important. Yeah, if you cure malaria but everyone dies in 50 years from a meteorite, meteorite impact, it doesn't make it makes a very small difference. And they also tend to focus on things in developing countries a lot because it's just due to the economics of the situation, it's a lot easier to save one life in uh, a developing world nation than it is to uh, save a life in America where most people are not going to be dying of simple, easy to solve with money problems. What I should have pointed out too is there's a great exploration of a lot of this stuff in um, Peter Singer's works on altruism. Yeah. And, you know, a few hundred dollars in the developing world can, can give a corrective surgery for, um, you know, uh, problems that would either drastically hamper your life through like physical ailment or through like social stigma. Um, 
there are apparently some common causes of blindness that are very treatable for a few hundred dollars. Um, yeah. That so like you consider like all right, well, what would it cost me to get like LASIK versus being how many people could I help with that money doing something else or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just the the your money goes further where money's more valuable. <laughs> um, there's the other thing that he points out. Uh, I, so I guess yeah. You can check out Peter Singer's website. I think it is just petersinger.org or something. But um, his recent book, Doing Good Better, or was that um, uh, Will Will McCaskill? He I don't know. I forget. One of them did. Oh, wait. Peter Singer's book was The Life You Can Save. Okay. Will McCaskill's book was Doing Good Better. Okay. If this is a subject you're really interested in, I'd recommend those books. Cool. All right. I realized it took up some of our time. Oh, and sorry. because I'm sure I'm going to forget. I got to plug something that's completely unrelated to anything. Okay. I've been reading the hell out of a crossover fan fiction called uh, A Wand for Skitter. <laughs> yes. Okay. I just, I'm on chapter 61 of 61 right now. Oh, man. And I started like two weeks ago. They're really short chapters. Like okay. I can read them in 10 minutes sometimes. So they, they go by fast. Um, it is kind of full of typos that I want to... I'm going to ask the author if I can screen their chapters for them and fix them if mm-hmm. they'll let me. Maybe even like just take them all, put them through like Microsoft Word and let them fix the the obviously broken ones like this isn't just like the wrong there this is big mistakes but they're they're not so much that it ruins the story but i've talked to at least one person who says that does ruin reading for them so sorry this might not be your book but um it's the premise is well this is a gigantic worm spoiler so skipping that the protagonist from worm wakes up in the body of a recently attempted assassinated mudblood girl in uh whatever the first year of hogwarts for the skit the kids right in 1991 yeah the first year of um the original harry potter books totally and so she eventually regains some control of her bugs that she had from from worm um and she's also learning magic really well and it it's weird because i'm having to remember like the difference this isn't methods of rationality crossover this is regular harry potter crossover so like there's not like a like fatigue that you get from using magic or anything like Mm, that so i'm trying to uh, so i I'm watching this. I'm like, how is she doing all this? Oh, right. She's not getting tired. She just has to keep saying words. Um, but it's a lot of fun. My only gripe is that like the character never loses like this level of savagery that I feel like would be losable, but it sets it up in a way that makes a lot of sense. This, the other like uh, cro- break point from original Harry Potter is that uh, Voldemort is having his lieutenants kill uh, mudbloods before they start. Because before they start at Hogwarts, just like to thin the herd of them so they can start taking care of this problem before they're educated. Yeah. And so she's constantly on her guard for that because her, her like parents that she doesn't remember were just killed and she wakes up in an alley in the middle of London or something. Okay. And um, so her, her level of like vigilance and like kind of savagery kind of makes sense because people are constantly on the lookout to like kill muggle-born people. Yeah. But it was, it was fun. It was a quick read and it seems to be being updated like a couple times a week at least. So... I've been having fun with that. The The story is called A Wand for Skitter on fanfiction.net by author uh, Shane T. So I had to plug that because I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks reading it. Okay, Excellent. back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think if we have time for one more. Um, commenter Delined, del- delineated, I don't know, <laughs> says, um, I don't want to disappoint, but death is do actually exist. If you want your transhumanist self to be a part, take a look at the Ask a Mortician, uh, which is a channel with almost 
800,000 subscribers by Caitlin Dowdy. I have actually seen this. They literally promote death positivity and death acceptance. They believe death gives life meaning. They're concerned about people who pursue radical life extension. Yeah, I knew those people existed in there. You know, what's weird is I did too, and somehow I completely like forgot about that when I was like, no one's really a deathist. Mm. Um, and yet, I, I think it's just, yeah, I'll have to maybe actually check out some of these these the subreddit and stuff to see what they're saying, but... I, I know these people are out there and it's weird, yeah. but I think they're just, they're not really considering the alternative in a way that's like, well, of course I would say that, right? I was going to say they're not considering the alternative honestly, otherwise they would agree with me. <laughs> that, that's what everybody yeah. says about every position they have ever. So Now, I, I could actually imagine if somebody discovers the cure for death tomorrow, most of the world I think is immediately going to be on board and I think there's going to be a huge backlash of people that have grown up and are very stuck in the mindset of death is good and natural yeah. And playing God, doing weird things, it's bad and unnatural. And it's, again, the whole, you know, cultural evolution. I would like to point out that this is a very, very common trope in science fiction and fantasy. And it really annoys me to no end. Yeah. A lot of evil villains are evil specifically because they don't want to die. And that's like almost the entirety of their motivation. Voldemort, to take the example we are just talking about, his evilness is that he doesn't want to die. And that is what is behind everything. That. It happens so freaking often that I'm like, oh, look, there's a villain in this piece. I wonder if he's a villain because he doesn't want to die. And they, like, make fun of them. They're like, oh, he's weak. He's afraid of death. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, so am I. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so we're all, aren't we all, no? At you least are. Methods of Rationality gave, uh, gave Voldemort, like, more fleshed out villainy than yeah. just, like, I don't want to die. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember that being Voldemort's whole thing in the original version i had to kind of like think back after i read methods to like what was og voldemort's uh motivation and like you could be an you know a magical non-deathist without being a complete dick right (laughs) Right. i would assume i mean Um, one of the nice things about thanos is that he wasn't like i'm evil because i want immortality right yeah (laughs) there was some other motivation for once like thank you he was a good he was a good villain yeah i even think in endgame where he updates his preferences a little bit i don't know if it's it doesn't come out until on blu-ray for another couple of weeks so <laughs> i think it might still be too early for spoilers but okay um like i would argue that if you've seen the movie his his change in motivation even like it, it makes sense even for him and it's not him being like just promoted to like the level of like i am a bad guy now i think i think i think it's perfectly in character for who thanos was developed to be in the first uh infinity war movie spoiler thanos is in in endgame i guess (laughs) was he in the trailers i don't know probably maybe not actually he was still alive at the end of um the first one so obviously he was going to be in the sequel that's a good point Yeah. yeah okay cool all right uh God, we're we going to have to burn through the less wrong posts. Sorry, I know. I, and I got here late, so we're we're not able to... D- this is on me that we're we're rushing through these. I I think it's okay because they're not that... Um, they're not super deep. No, they're no. not super deep and they're not super long, so that's all right. But yeah, let's get through them quickly. All so right. We've got, are your enemies innately evil? Spoiler, no. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> by the way, a great example of the... Oh, what is it? The Betridge Law, I think? uh which not raw they call it the law but you know these are generally rules uh that any headline that ends with a question can be answered by the word no yes <laughs> and honestly our last episode fell prey to that i think when we said uh is rationalism being co-opted by the alt-right ended in a question mark 
Um, we, we should have put more capitalization in it and made you. We should have made a five-hour episode before we got to that subject to just make a true clickbaity fashion. Oh yeah. God! Yeah. Little uh, subtext: scientists are baffled. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, basically, are your this post is saying your enemies are not innately evil. Uh, the first quote I pulled is: "There seems to be a very strong tendency to blame evil deeds on the enemy's mutant evil disposition." Not as a moral point, but as a strict question of prior probability, we should ask what the enemy might believe about their situation that would reduce the seemingly the seeming bizarrity of their behavior. This would allow us to hypothesize a less exceptional disposition and thereby shoulder a lesser burden of improbability. And I would just like to say, I also consider this a mark of good fiction. Um, I kind of understand that lots of times when people are reading fiction, they want escapism. They want the Nazi or the zombie, the enemy who is irredeemably evil, and you can cheer for the hero punching them and killing them because they are evil mutants and they need to be killed. And that's what people want to see. That's fun, right? But I just, I don't think it's great writing because in the real world, there's no one like that. You can demonize people to make them look like uh, evil mutants, but they aren't in reality. Yeah, thinking of like, Wheel of Time, which is the biggest fantasy thing I've ever read. I've um, never read it. had you talk about fiction and not mention Wheel of Time. Maybe because I don't read enough. Okay. Um, and definitely per page count, it's the biggest thing. Well, maybe, I'm not sure how big it compares to Worm and Ward, but maybe it's getting close. I think Worm is bigger. It might be. Well, it's definitely, I don't know. We'll, maybe. We'll They're the comparable. Later. But in any case, well, certainly in Worm, the bad guys, with the possible exception of like the head of the Slaughterhouse Nine... Um, he's just a psychopath, but he, he's he's like the Joker in the in the sense that he's interesting, yeah. like he, he and he's not trying to end the world because he's a bad guy. He's just like I just like fucking things up, <laughs> and uh, there's there's other fuckery going on there that causes that stuff. But um, in Wheel of Time, the the big baddie is the Dark One, who's like literally like the embodiment, although not even like quite physically instantiated version of like the dark side of the Force. But his lieutenants are basically the people that are the antagonists throughout the book series. And they all have their motivations and they're, they're conniving and, and interesting and, and all that sort of stuff. So I like that. I like this post too because there's like a watered down version of it where like, and I know we're, we're belaboring it, but this is a good time to inject it. Like I've complained about like previous co-workers like, oh yeah, this guy was always late. This guy didn't care about his job. At the end of the day, like these are people who are doing what they can and like, I had, I had, I might've mentioned this on the show before, but like one of the, it was the senior guy that like never came to work and was honestly a terrible role model. I didn't really get along with him. Like we had nothing in common. And then shortly after he started, we started working together. One of his cats died and he was like distraught over mm -hmm. it. And I was like, dude, I can relate. And we talked about it a lot because, uh, he was dealing with it. And, you know, um, it, and like, I remember having this kind of wake up moment where I was like, you know what? I don't have to like, like this guy. He, you know, I, but I get him, at least on this level. He's just another guy who, like, loved his cat. And, like, I realize, like, that that, that sounds shallow. But the, the deeper thing behind it was, like, I think that's the way it is with everybody that you're disagreeing with. Like, there are people who are just leeches and are going to be mean, like, at work or something, right? Mm. But, like, everybody, nobody's innately evil. Very few people are innately evil. Mm. And I think there's always a way to, like, empathize with the person on a way that you can at least connect with them, right? So, yeah, I won't dig into that too much, but... It's it's important for like not not walking around hating people, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh Elias makes a good point that uh if the enemy did have an evil disposition, that would be an argument in favor of your side. So any argument that favors your side must be supported no matter how silly. 
Soon the enemy has horns, and if you <laughs> deny any aspect of this on merely factual grounds, you are arguing the enemy side, and you are a traitor. <laughs> merely factual grounds. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, yeah, I see sometimes, and that is very disheartening. Yeah. yeah. He- uh, very few people will understand that you aren't defending the enemy, just defending the truth. Mm. I've had this happen. It's very frustrating. Like, um, I think, Stephen, you had brought up people making up lies about Trump, and yeah. then you point out, like, that's actually completely factually incorrect. Like, Why are you are defending you? Trump? Some kind of Trump support. <laughs> like, it's like, no, man, let's just point to all the real crazy shit, because every time that we lie and conflate, then that's, that's you know, and that, that's specifically for this kind of example, but like then they can point to, like, oh, see, they lied about this, we can prove it. Therefore, I don't believe any other stuff they're saying. But, you know, the, the real short version is, like, and this was written, what, 12 years ago? So 9-11 is a lot fresher in everybody's heads. Mm-hmm. He mentions, like, that the, the, the hijackers weren't, like, these deranged psychopaths who just wanted to kill America because we're beacon of freedom and they're mutants who hate freedom. Mm-hmm. They did it for what felt to them like very good reasons. And they were, uh, like... They were protecting their people. Yeah. And they were they were martyrs in their minds and in the minds of their supporters. Like, the, so... But to say... Could you imagine somebody going on the news on September 15th, like, you know, a couple of days, like, while the dust is still settling and being like, look, guys, they weren't monsters, but... <laughs> and like, I think I think the climate of the time, people would be okay with the person being dragged off camera and beaten, <laughs> right. right? Like, so, I yeah. I people, like, outright give that explanation they're like yeah well you know terrorists they hate freedom yeah that was that I was remember the being a child and hearing that and being like i don't think that that's how humans work mm-hmm. i was also a child i remember hearing that and i didn't have that thought i just <laughs> i was still at the age where i was just absorbing stuff and like well if you say so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's a great it's a great post i wish it, there's there's not i don't know yeah we're, we're, we're on a time crunch, and once again, to reiterate, that's my fault. I was late. Yeah. So. Okay. Can I just read the last paragraph, because it's really punchy? Yeah. Sure. That was, when you accurately estimate the enemy's psychology, when you know what is really in the enemy's mind, that knowledge won't feel like landing a delicious punch on the opposing side. It won't give you a warm feeling of righteous indignation. If your estimate makes you feel unbearably sad, you may be seeing the world as it really is. It's good shit, man. That's good. Yeah, everybody that you've ever hated could be somebody that you like would have loved if things had been a little different. This is why we read Eliezer. He's good at those. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think how did you put it? Like the best, like the highest, like insight to word ratio or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, I love that. Next post is two more things to unlearn from school. Uh, more things to unlearn. <laughs> and I think there's only one in here, but I don't know. Maybe I was counting two conflating two together anyways i'm way ahead of you i already forgot most of everything i learned in school okay. checkmate Yukowski. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh eliezer says i suspect the most dangerous habit of thought taught in schools is that even if you don't really understand something you should parrot it back anyway one of the most fundamental life skills is realizing when you are confused and school actively destroys this ability Many students who have gone through this process no longer even realize when something confuses them or notice gaps in their understanding. They have been trained out of pausing to think. And he also proposes a possible solution. Maybe you could avoid handing students knowledge on a silver platter. Instead, show students different versions of physics equations that look plausible and ask them to figure out which was the correct one or invent experiments which would distinguish between alternatives. I didn't get exercises like that until college. And it was never physics. I, didn't, I studied a, a squishy science like psychology. Mm-hmm. But I remember you know, like in high school or in like, you know, college level biology or something, they'd ask you like design an experiment that would confirm or deny this, this claim or something. Mm-hmm. And 
it kind of sucks that you're that you have to be in your 20s taking electives to get to that level um yeah in, like, or at least an elective level of education in most of high school i had a few good teachers i will say and i think my parents were pretty good at just at being encouraging and that sort of thing too but most of the things that i i wanted to find out it was like myself thinking why is that and then following up with questions or or trying to read about it as opposed to being taught that in school um, I think that may have worked out well, but the one thing I really, really remember to this day was in physics in uh, high school. Uh, I had this amazing physics teacher. I was in uh, the AP physics, so this wasn't like given to everyone. But he started us out. He started us out on um, uh, Einstein's oh god photoelectric effect. That's what it was, uh, and. and we thought we were just learning like you know electricity and magnetism and and basically that that level of stuff. And he walked us through, like we did the experiments ourselves, rederiving how how to get E equals MC squared. And like by the time you're getting to the end and you're on the last few steps before the final line, you realize what's happening and you're like, oh, holy shit, this is amazing. I have just rederived the most famous equation in physics and I see how it happened. And obviously it's not it's not nearly as hard as having to come up with it on your own from the beginning and like, why is this happening? How could this possibly work? Uh, like we had, we had to kind of laid out for us in a garden path, but going down that path the first time and not knowing what we were getting at the end was really neat. And I wish more people would have experience like that. Yeah. I can't think of any examples like that offhand, but they probably happened. I hope, but that sounds wonderful. And that mm -hmm. sounds like the way it should be taught. The downside of, of doing it the way that you do it in schools now is like there's no time to do it that way because we've got to teach these 70 things for the exam that the state issued for us and you guys are only in here this number of hours. So yeah. we can't spend 20 hours doing this one thing. Right. But yeah, you still remember that. Yeah. You know, And that, that's how impactful it was. Yeah. And that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I, I think that's the right way to do it. I don't have anything else to say. I mean, you could do something similar like... You could do this with just, this is what the book, The Greatest Show on Earth does, mm. Richard Dawkins' book for evolution. Yeah. is way belabored because he, he rambles a bit, but like in a way that if you like the artful way that he does stuff. Yeah, I found it like just really enjoyable to read because I liked his tone. Same here. Yeah, it's so, I guess what I'm getting at is it's way less direct than like a, than you would do in a college or in a, in a classroom setting of like trying to teach the same thing. Right. But he has this poetry of, of and this passionate writing that I really liked. But that's what he does. He takes it the slow way. And so by the end, you're like, oh, I've seen all the things, not firsthand, but, you know, I've read all of, you know, enough of the observations that were made to put this together. Now I get it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like some knowledge that someone told me about. And that like, you're told basically take this on faith. It's like, no, I, 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 I can follow the, the whole, the whole thing now. Yeah. It's a short post, but has a neat point And I agree. I'm really hoping that future school systems incorporate VR or just like really good simulations and are actually structured in such a way where students can do their own experiments. That would be cool. Okay, for next week, we will cover the less wrong posts, making beliefs pay rent in anticipated experiences, belief in belief, and Bayesian judo. So we'll have three. Those first two are ones that we've referenced maybe a hundred times total on the podcast so far. So. Yeah. yeah, these are some weighty ones. Yeah. Yep. Last part of the show but definitely not least most important not least important part of the show yes one of the most important parts of the show that's right we've got a patron to thank this week our uh patron of the episode i know I, we say week and we, like yeah. we say that we do that all the time but it's bi-week <laughs> right um anyway of the fortnight yes this time this time 
on the Bayesian Conspiracy, our favorite patron of the of the episode is Wealth. So thank you so much for your support. Yay, Wealth. You are the bomb. And yeah, we, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, I made a fist pump. You couldn't see it. But <laughs> anyway, yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, 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 I had a thing to point out. We mentioned in the last episode that like we met on Discord to chat uh, and like someone asked in subreddit, where is the link to this Discord? And uh, David Youssef, who was our uh, the person we interviewed over Discord, just posted the link on the subreddit. And I was like, oh shit, nothing was ready. What the hell just happened here? And people started like showing up and chatting and stuff. And so I worked real quickly. Uh, Stephen promoted me to moderator. I put in a few channels. So now it's now it's an actual, I guess, Discord server. Uh, it, it, but yeah, man, that thing blew up fast. Like there's bunch of people in there talking a lot and a I'm handful super enjoying it yeah yeah and a handful of our previous guests so if you ever wanted to pick a bone with david youssef he's on there a lot uh yep, yep. alexander wales was on there day one david uh, youssef is on there is david dark lord of the memes <laughs> no, no no that's the other David. Oh, there's the other david yeah Wait, what, so which david is da- uh they keep changing their names dn youssef i think is he still no i thought that was anyway no, he's still dn youssef <laughs> both of the davids are on there <laughs> good luck telling them apart <laughs> especially because youssef talks about memes a lot he, right, wa- right. he wanted the meme channel so it makes sense they didn't have the meme name yeah and he posts Alas. there constantly yeah okay but um yeah no the bunch of people there it's really cool i'm having a great time so uh thank you guys for that we now have a discord so we'll post the link to the discord in this episode show notes as well and of course on the subreddit and we also have a subreddit so there's another thing i've lately been arguing with people on subreddit because i haven't <laughs> been able to sleep which has been fun <laughs> i need to be on the subreddit more yeah it's like right. you know if you want to argue with a sleep deprived uh that's the place to go and i'll be active on discord as soon as i can figure out how to let that uh server alone send push notifications to my phone and not everyone that i'm on oh okay i can show you oh okay then i just i, will, I have I'll push on. notifications turned off i just look it up every you know a few times a day i need a ping to remind me to get in there so mm. like as the even... only ping i need is the dopamine that i'm not getting by not being on it <laughs> 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 all right thank you okay. everybody yes on that note and thank you, Wealth, again. You are also a ping of dopamine. Every time we do this, this uh, thanking a patron, yeah. we feel happy. And Wealth is such a good name. Wealth. Yay. All right, everybody. This was great. See you in two weeks. All right. Bye-bye.